0: and then and then Bret Hart takes time off he takes time off he says because he needs rest what he did was take time off to see if Shawn Michaels and the World Wrestling Federation would fall flat on their face without him well guess what we didn't fall face flat anywhere as a matter of fact the World Wrestling Federation did the best Business it has done in six years. You're the boss. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> but it's Bret Hart and Stone Cold. Look, last night. the Stone the And this time there's no Bulldog. This time there's no Owen. There's nobody but Fred Hart and Stone Cold. Fred hart is ripping and tearing with his own hold at the hands of so Steve Austin.
2: In fact, I find your, your question and uh, your remarks insulting to what I do. Physically, no man can do what I do in the ring. If they could, why wouldn't they be out there making the type of money we make and enjoy the type of fame and lifestyle that we enjoy? I find your remark and your question insulting it's not my question It's somebody, somebody <laughs> does that fucking feel fake huh does that feel oh, fake anything. does it oh no no just why don't case. you come down tonight and before i kick his ass i'll kick your ass
3: okay Hold all on. right
2: just calm down don't hey we're not here to be insulted i'm not here to be insulted
1: Turning to his motherland, and I must say, I don't think any one individual has ever done what Ahmed Johnson did in South Africa last week. He galvanized an entire nation, something Nelson Mandela even has not been able to do.
0: <coughs> ah, What's what say, it? you, idiot? Push these cables on the floor, here. Watch the cables. Watch the cables, guys. Oh,
1: Okay. Come on. Open the door. Watch Come on. his knee. Watch his knee. Come on, Let's Come on, guys. Let's move it. Come on. Let's move it. Let's go, guys. Let's get him to the hospital. Let's go. Come on, friends. We're here with you, friends. Okay. Let's go, Drake.
0: one more, don't you? I'm oh my god. we going straight go. there. Hey,
1: let's go. Oh my god. Oh no. Oh my god. Look at that. Oh no. Hey. on. Come on. Hey.
4: Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to April of 1997 for volume two of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month. Volume number one takes the ECW looking at their first ever pay per view banded Eagle. Volume number three takes us to WCW looking at Spring Stampede. And if you are a fan of WCW political stories, you are in luck this month. We're here in volume number two to look at the WWF, including In Your House, Avengers of the Taker. I'll be joined first by Dan Welling. Dan, good evening.
5: Good evening, Bob. Hi.
4: Uh, very well, thank you. And Eric Landstrom. Eric, good morning. Morning, Bob. How are you?
6: Very well. Eric, not much news this month, so kick us off with what we've got. Sure. Vader was detained in Kuwait for nearly a fortnight following an incident on an edition of Good Morning Kuwait after he roughed up the presenter who asked him whether wrestling was fake. According to the WWF side of the story, it's said that Vader was told to ham it up. He responded by grabbing the presenter by his tie and shoving him backwards. Vader was later arrested. While Vader was allowed to return to the United States, it said he's due back for the hearing next month, and the host is asking for nearly $400,000 in damages. While it seems unlikely the story was a work, the WWF have turned the story to their advantage on television going forward. Unsurprisingly, people inside WCW are very skeptical.
5: The WWF suffered even more bad news in Crete as Bret Hart sustained a serious knee injury that required him to undergo surgery. It's expected he will be out until June at the earliest. Brett did work this month's pay-per-view in the main event against Steve Austin, but after an injury angle on Raw the next night, has been featured on television sitting in a wheelchair. Brett's original opponent for the pay-per-view, Psycho Sid, missed out on the entirety of the month due to a back injury. Although it says a lot about the current climate in the company, that there are suspicions as to how legitimate that injury is. With six-man tag matches involving the Hart Foundation plan for house shows, Jim Nightheart has been drafted into the group, as Brian Pillman's ankle still isn't fully recovered.
6: And on the pay-per-view this month, Steve Austin defeated Bret Hart in the main event after interference from Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. An attack angle by Bulldog and Owen on Austin was the storyline reason for Undertaker and Mankind not going on last, Undertaker winning the semi-main after a brutal brawl. The show otherwise was, and this is an understatement, a dud. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog retained their tag titles over the Legion of Doom and Billy Gunn, Rockabilly, lost to Jesse James. Rocky Maivia did retain his Intercontinental title over Savio Vega in a rematch of their April 14th classic, but lost it later in the month to Owen Hart.
4: And that is the extent of the news. We will uh, just remind you first of all that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like early access to our podcast where available, or you'd like to say thank you for our contributions to your podcasting months, both good and bad, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs with info in the podcast description and on our website. On to the ratings of the month, another sweep for Nitro in the ratings battle but the WWF did win its first quarter hour in months. On March the 31st, Nitro did a 3.4 to Rules 2.7. On April the 7th, Nitro won 3.7 to 2.2. 2. On April the 14th, Nitro won a 3.5 to 2.2. 2. On April the 21st, Nitro won 3.4 to Rules 2.8. But Raw did feature a 3.4 segment uh, for the match between, well, the kind of fight really between Steve Austin and Bret Hart that beat out the 2.8 Nitro did in the same quarter. On, on April the 28th, Nitro did a 3.4 to Rules 2.7 expect some changes for the next few weeks as with the final week of the month Nitro running at 7pm Eastern for one hour owing to the NWA playoffs so Raw will run from 8 until 10 two completely unopposed hours
0: it all seemed like such a shame we engaged in some of the most brutal contests this sport has ever known but I couldn't help feeling that when it was all said and done, the undertaker never really knew me at all. Oh, I know him and his fancy cars, posh hotel room. But do you know me? Do you know what it feels like to sit on an airplane with the stench of your own charred flesh in your nostrils for 14 hours, because I do, and it makes me sick. Do so you know what it feels like to walk inside your home and your wife says, "What is burning?" And it's me. I need it. To introduce you to my life. And for those people out there who find it hard to believe that someone like mankind could have received holy matrimony, I can only say to you turn off your damn TV set, watch another wrestling program, because I am dealing with reality. A real life undertaker. Where my children wake up to the sounds of gunfire. Where white trash bombard my house with rocks and shit. Die, mankind, die. And when my three-year-old girl says to me, Keep me safe, daddy. Keep me safe. I look into her beautiful little eyes and I say... I can't do that, because daddy's on the road, 300 nights every year, working on his 17th concussion, being spit on by vile scum in Undertaker t-shirts, wrestling main events for half the money that pumped up pretty boys making the opening match. You ask me for excuses, I don't have any. When you're mankind, You only need reasons. Well, tell me this, no matter how disfigured The Undertaker may be when we see him on April the 20th, what kind of match can we expect from Mankind and The Undertaker for the richest prize in the
3: WWF?
0: When Oswald shot Kennedy, he was insane. But still we watch the reruns again and again. We all seek food while the killer takes aim. Hey, Bob! There goes the priestess of the president's brain! We cannot throw the Christians to the lions anymore. There are no more public hangings. The closest we have is the Undertaker and mankind. If you thought the fireball was bad, I implore any women and families who love their children, don't order the paper you, because I will not be held morally responsible. But I will not stop until the entire audience smells your charred flesh. You'll stick to their stomach until you are nothing but a random pile of body
1: parts.
4: We begin Raw for the month with the newly reunited Owen and Bulldog against the Godwins on April the 7th. For the match, Owen thanks Brett for bringing the family back together and threatens to destroy Shawn Michaels should he have anything negative to say against Brett later. Sure, the, well, sure, sure that's a safe bet there, Owen. The match is won by the chance when Owen belts Henry behind the ref's back. The LOD stare down the, Owen and Bulldog from the ramp. Godwin's used the distraction to swap the chance, but they accidentally douse the LOD instead. Those teeth go toe-to-toe as Owen and Bulldog hightail it away. Austin is up against Billy Gunn. Owen and Bulldog, in a picture-in-picture, tell Austin that if he wants them, they're not hard to find. Austin gives referee Tim White the finger during the contest and gets the big pot for it. He, of course, wins cleaning with the Stone Cold Stunner. Afterwards, Honky Tonk Man offers his services to Billy. Inevitably, Billy responds by punching Honky in the face. On the ramp, a man introduces himself as the Commandant, who is the commanding officer of the Truth Commission from South Africa. He suggests that the Americans have a problem with law and order. Sissy liberal Americans will be taught the meaning of democracy by his commission. He hands over to a take to camera piece from Brett from Cape Town, who basically repeats his thoughts on America from two weeks ago we'll probably be hearing from these a lot. Here comes Shawn Michaels. He says he and Bret loathe each other both out out here or back there. He tells us that Bret hasn't recently become a bad guy. He's always been one. He says that if Bret could make a buck he'd sell his own mother which got some really good booze for that. We then hear that when Bret was meant to do the favour at WrestleMania 12 he only did so screaming and kicking all the way. Kicking and screaming, not read the right way around. After outing Vince as the boss for no real reason, he accuses Brett stated reasons for coming back to the WWF as horseshit, and it was all about the money. He accuses Brett of playing the Hitman character 24-7. Your obsession with me and the WWF Championship will ultimately be your destruction. Owen and Bulldog come to ringside, but Shaw grabs a chair as an equaliser. The Headbangers defeat the ultimate job team of Barry Horowitz and Freddie Joe Floyd with a powerbomb-leg drop combo. Next up is a Noah holds barred exhibition between Vernon White and Ken Shamrock. This is won by Shamrock by stoppage after two minutes when he quote loses his temper with White and punches him into oblivion. Afterwards, Vader comes to ringside to seemingly challenge Shamrock. Vader beats Frank Stiletto with a powerbomb. Grilla tells us that Sid is not in the building. If he doesn't turn up, Mankind will instead face Austin in our main event. Austin isn't happy with this, to say the least, and in no uncertain terms tells Gorilla he will only face Sid tonight if he's allowed to face Bret in your house. JR interviews Mankind. Mankind burnt the Undertaker last week because despite their brutal battles in the past, he never really knew Mankind at all. Mankind makes references of how his King of the Death match experiences have affected his life, and that he gets so much abuse from fans and so little money that he can't protect his family. With those things in mind, if you thought the fireball was bad, don't order the pay-per-view because he won't be responsible for the consequences. The disembodied voice of the Undertaker interrupts and eventually tell us that Hell hath no fury like his. Our main event is indeed Mankind versus Austin. They beat the tar out of each other in this one. Bulldog are going have look on from the bleachers and Austin calls them down. The LOD stop them from interfering though. Instead Vader hits the ring and accidentally hits Mankind for the DQ. They then brawl until Bearer comes out to calm them down. And we move on to April the 14th with raw simulcast from both Muncie, Indiana in the US and Johannesburg in South Africa. We kick off in the States with Vincent Cornet on the call for LOD against the Godwins. As you would expect the crowd are firmly behind the Warriors on this one. The interference of Bulldog hits Animal in the back of the head with the tag title belt and the Goldwins get the win. Jar and Honky Top Man welcome to South Africa. For some reason we will regularly lose the commentary from them. Furthermore, we are once again treated to some very substandard production values and lighting. There's loads of people in attendance though, it should be said, about 15,000 I think. Um, Hunt's faces real double J after what feels like a century or two honky-drops leg trips double J, allowing Hunt's hit the pedigree for the three count. Post-match, Jesse James challenges Honky to scrap right now, but of course he gets told to wait for his match against Honky's protégé in your house. Still in South Africa, our next contest is Rocky Maivere against Savio Vega, not for the title. I'd watch it on via picture-in-picture, and he always walks it like he talks it. This match is always far too long, 18 minutes. Savio fights out with a devastating shoulder-breaker and then pins Rocky after a roll-up with a handful of tights. The nation beat up Rocky after the bell, but Armin and his trusty 2 by 4 make the save. Back in the USA, Austin comes down to the ring for an interview. Austin tells Vince that he and Gorilla can't hold him down any longer, and now the WWF have finally given him what he wants. In this case, a match with Bret in your house. He accuses Brett of trying to copy him in everything he does, but he'll never be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Nobody can deny he's the baddest SOB when the bell rings and in your house he will whip Brett's ass. The Sultan vs Goldust is another match from South Africa. Following a few minutes, not much really. Hunter and China run in for the DQ and attack Goldust. Sultan and Hunter even give him the spike pile driver. We now head to Q8 we hear from Brett. American fans don't understand the difference between right and wrong, but he will always stand for the truth. He suggests that Shawn Michaels has been telling malicious lies about him. As for Austin in your house, Brett said he needs to either get better or get beaten. In the United States, Mankind, faces Vader, uh, and, mankind and Vader face the Headbangers or the Hellbangers as Vince calls them. A decent scrap here which ends in DQ when mosh with some sort of liquid in mankind's face. The blinded Mankind then puts the mandible claw on Vader until Paul Bearer manages to break it up. We hear, but don't see, from The Undertaker back in South Africa. He unleashes the souls of all demons to haunt Mankind forever. Mankind, you won't rest in peace, but you will burn in hell. The Commandment is in the ring in Johannesburg. His commission will beat the truth into us. We have to wait for that though, because our final match tonight is Ahmed versus The Crush. I blocks the heart punch with a spin kick, then wins with a roll-up. Farouk gets on the mic and issues a challenge to Ahmed. If Johnson can beat Savio, Crush and Farouk, he will relinquish the nation. We don't get Ahmed's answer.
0: I'd like to use my First Amendment rights out here on live television, if I may, to tell you and the entire world what is going on with the heartbreak hit. May I? Now, as far as last week is concerned... Shawn Michaels opened up his big mouth and got beat up. Now, regularly that would be a big deal, but if you're Shawn Michaels, that is like waking up, going to bed, eating your breakfast, eating your dinner, it's an everyday thing. I jack my jaw, somebody smacks me around and we fight about it, that's how I make my living. Away, looking on. Now, was it a setback? Yes. When am I coming back? Not going to tell you. But what I will tell you is this. Red Hart has come out here time and time again telling the fans of the World Wrestling Federation that he wants to get stuff off his chest. And now I want to get something off of my chest. Everyone is asking, why is Bret Hart all of a sudden a bad guy? Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm not going to lie to you. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels loathe one another. Whether it be out here or back there, make no mistake about it, Bret Hart hates my guts. And to be perfectly honest, I hate his. Now, we're going to take the gloves off here. Bret Hart has not just recently turned into a bad guy. He has always been a bad guy. He comes out here and he talks about how there are no family values in America. How the World Wrestling Federation exploited his family. Well, I've got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Bret Hart is the one that asked his mother and his father to be on TV. Bret Hart is the one that drags his sister and his children out on TV. The World Wrestling Federation exploits Bret Hart's family because he allows it. Now, and the reason he allows it is very simple for Bret Hart's own financial gain. If Bret can make a buck, he'd sell his mother. That's the truth. Now, wow. Bret Hart also has an obsession with Shawn Michaels and the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Last year, I won the World Wrestling Federation Championship fair and square. He's right about that. But I want to digress to six years ago. When Shawn Michaels first started his singles career and became the Intercontinental Champion, that's when Bret Hart also became the World Wrestling Federation Champion. I ran support to him. I told everybody, including himself and his family, that I supported him. I was second fiddle to Bret Hart for years here, and I did it with a smile on my face because that's what a man does when it comes to business. But then, when it came for Bret Hart to return the favor, oh yeah, he did it, but he did it, kicking and screaming every inch of the way. And then, and then Bret Hart takes time off. He takes time off, he says, because he needs rest. What he did was take time off to see if Shawn Michaels and the World Wrestling Federation would fall flat on their face without him. Well, guess what? We didn't fall face flat anywhere. As a matter of fact, the World Wrestling Federation did the best business it has done in six years. You're the boss. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Thank you very much. Now, but Bret Hart, he sat sat in Calgary and passed judgment on Shawn Michaels. And he told everybody about my faults. And believe me, folks, I have got a truckload of faults. But I have never, ever lied about that to any one of you. He talked about my dancing. How could the fans of World Wrestling Federation cheer up? A wrestler who dances, who has long hair, who pierces his navel, who has tattoos. How can the fans of the World Wrestling Federation support something like that? Well, it's real simple. They liked it, you idiot.
1: Now.
4: So, some television to get to uh, before we get to the pay-per-view. Uh, there is the... God, that episode of Raw. We haven't got to get there yet, mercifully. Uh we start on April the seventh. Um, I've got a bit to say about a Ken Shamrock seven, but we're gonna start with uh, the with, with, with the promo that you've just heard a bit of. Um Dan, everyone shoots these days and uh, and Shawn Michaels in if you give Shawn Michaels an open mic and an open hand to talk about Bret Hart, he will say whatever he likes.
5: Oh yeah, I mean I think there's definitely some feelings of animosity of that Sean's trying to get out in there in public that he clearly feels is genuine. You know stuff about, you know, Brett um being more interested in money than he lets on. Um the fact that he takes himself too seriously. Um these are probably points that do have basis in the reality, but obviously Sean's now trying to hammer up for the cameras. And I I can't get the feeling that he obviously is speaking on some truths as I said. Um uh, that's not kill ourselves as well as some of the points that he was making, you know, him saying that, well, I was champion, the WWF did the most business they've ever done in six or ten years. Well, that's not entirely true, Sean, because you've been, again, so trouncing the ratings by WCW. You've been, um, you know, for, there's falling attendances in house shows, you know, gradually over the last six years, and whilst it kind of.
4: I think that statement was true enough. I, I think the the statement was WWF had its, its best business, you know, uh, the, the ratings technically don't affect business numbers um and i think his his point was more about house show attendances and and revenues well, it's from a that very,
5: yeah but it's a very kind of focused point of view on the terms of the business front i mean there's lots more of a, I mean you know merchandise not potentially and the fact that the house show attendances were actually the highest when brett was headlining the shows
4: you know, so that's yes, just... <laughs> um, yes, there is that as well. But yeah, I, his, his wider point was, you know, I think was that, you know, he, he was getting at the kind of Brett, you know, one, one line, and he mentioned it in many ways, this was perhaps the most revealing line of all, though there were quite a few, was when he said that Brett left in part to, to, to let the the ship sink under Short and his point was well it didn't and I think that was true Well, I think that Dan you are right to a point that the, you try to pick that apart anymore and it was good I don't know whether they had that in the script whether um, Sean agreed Uh, with Vince that he'd actually put a mic in front of Vince's mouth after Sean said, uh, you know, true or false, did we do our best numbers in years under me last year? Like, if uh, I'm not sure Vince would have gone, well, you know, if if I look at our uh, end of year statements, I'm not sure Vince is going to do that live on television.
5: I've been viewing the tax returns, Mr. and uh, I believe that your statement is is slightly exaggerated.
4: Slightly, slightly. Uh, Eric, what do you think of this segment? We we speak about, you know, God knows if you, as and when people tune into Volume 3 of this much show, they're going to hear a lot of uh, shooty segments, shall we say. But I think if there's one thing I can say on that front is that as much as Michael's was probably very, very close to the truth, a lot of it made sense in, in, in terms of what we've seen so far, in terms of what can play out on television.
6: Well, that's true. Uh, they're clearly trying to, to present at least this Sean Brett angle, uh, the Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin stuff, a fair bit of the storylines they're moving forward as realistic, as grounded in reality. Uh, for a company that still features the Sultan regularly, uh, they're, they're kind of having an identity crisis. But yeah, you're right. You know, if you're trying to build a Sean Brett blood feud, it's got to go beyond the four corners of the ring. It can't just be, he beat me in 92, I beat him in 96, now we have to hash it out in the middle of the ring, but we still respect the hell out of each other. No, that's not going to sell tickets in 1997. But I say this every time I'm on a show and we talk about these shooty promos. It's like, who get, You know. What percentage of the crowd actually first understands what they're talking about? And, and, and two, those who do actually give a shit about whether Bret Hart exploits his family or whether, you know, who, who did the best business, uh, for the WWF when, when they were on top. I get why they're doing it. As far as shooty promos go, this one is certainly more focused than Nash's one at the end of March, uh, on, on Nitro, for example, or that rambling Kevin Sullivan. I'm from the neighborhood, uh, community uh one from a few months ago uh but but still uh you know you can keep wrestling grounded in reality but do people really care about you know whether or not uh bret hart was negotiating with wcw it it to me bob felt like a lot of this was vince mcmahon talking through Shawn michaels uh and vince trying to kind of air out uh, his, uh, grievances against Brett via Shawn Michaels, uh, who can kind of act as this, this mouthpiece that Vince can separate himself from.
4: Yeah, it uh it, it wouldn't shock me if uh on the subject of Brett's negotiations with WCW if if Vince and uh Sean had a very similar viewpoint, let's say that, whether it was the, whether it was Sean channeling Vince or whether it was Sean channeling Sean and just happening to echo what Vince would have said. Um but yeah, I, I you know, this is a hell of a segment in some respects. Uh, it's it's not the it's not the first Sean Shoot promo on Brett we've seen, but it was one that, in some respects, kind of you know didn't make a huge amount of sense. Um, uh, well, not not in terms of what he said, but more in terms of the, the, the timeline. Um, as it as it stands, I believe they're planning Sean and Brett for June. Now, Brett's injury might uh, might impact on that as to whether they shuffle that around. But um, Sean's
5: retired forever.
4: Well, yeah, uh, until he's Come not. On um and uh but yeah it's uh it, it's an interesting kind of it's an interesting segment it's interesting that that you know either sean asked for it or kind of sean just decided just whatever i'm going to mention the, the 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 business point and kind of hope for the best um you know he touched on a lot of different things it went all a bit too long it kind of fizzled out a bit and you know t- talking about you know t- sean's stuff about how you know people can yeah, you know, their 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 First Amendment rights to you know cheer or boo they like it. You know that's getting a bit old. Um, but no, I thought it was an effective segment. And I, um, Dan, I I wonder in the, the, the couple of Bret matches that you know we're going to talk about a Bret match in a minute that's been uh that, that got moved. But Dan, has has this program benefited from not having those two match up at WrestleMania? Yeah, I think so. I mean. Uh, by that, I mean WrestleMania this year, obviously not
5: yeah. last year. Um, yeah, um, I-, I wasn't a big fan of doing that match at WrestleMania um, a month ago. It had shown them fit anyway because it felt more like, you know, they would have to move the character viewpoints around quite drastically. And as good as, you know, the Bretts' like, gradual kind of heel turn was towards WrestleMania, I don't think it would have been enough. But was, now you've got a full-fledged heel Bret Hart, you've got Michaels who... Clearly, is kind of got a bit more of a chip on his shoulder than he was a year ago. So you got a bit more feud, and you're always now building towards gradual personal animosity. Which obviously, the more it's built, it's built up, is going to add more fuel to the fire. It's going to add more intrigue from the fans. From and it's going to the more time you kind of simmer a, a, a simmer a feud like this, the more chance it's going to real really catch fire and really. Peak interest because I, I honestly don't think it would have done as well as most people imagine it would have had it done a month ago.
4: Well, I mean, also to a point, given the WrestleMania the bar that came in, it, it, it might have been an improvement on what they did. I think uh, there was uh I haven't seen the exact numbers, no. but, but I, uh, yeah. I know it was low. Let's say so that. But, yeah, I, think but
5: I don't. I don't think that Brett would have spiked the needle if it was not Bret Austin. If that makes sense. Because yeah, the Bret Austin view at that point was quite hot still.
4: Well, yeah. I think that the perception inside the WWF was we spent all this time focusing on Sean in the two, three, four, five months leading up to WrestleMania, and then he sparks out, and then we are kind of, you know, we've oh, we, yeah. we got no momentum in that front. I think there's certainly something to be said for that. Uh, Eric, kind of same question. I mean, it, you know, sometimes these things can, can work themselves out regardless of the legitimacy of Sean's injury, but I feel like we've got an a Austin-Brett view that was a much more natural rematch at the sign than perhaps Austin and Sean would have been. And we've now got Austin and Shaw, Austin and, sorry, again, now we've got Brett and Sean for their second match down the line rather than their third. So I think in some respects that, that works out really well.
6: Well, I think it does. And I think it adds more credence to the general main event scene. Uh, we saw in Raw this month, uh, Sean Michaels and Stone Cold Steve Austin having interactions and, you know, I think nobody would would doubt, uh, at least, maybe not now with the rise of Stone Cold, but at least looking back two or three months, that the two biggest uh, draws in the company were Michaels and and Hart. And now what we see is a a third uh, person who sure looks like they're going to be on that level very soon, Steve Austin, uh, being uh, thrust into this uh, kind of triangular feud now between Brett and the Hart Foundation, uh, Michaels, and Austin. And so I think it's working well to kind of put all these uh, old and new main event pieces into a blender and mix it up and really let Austin uh, be associated with these guys while they can pivot to Brett and Shawn down the road. Maybe they even save it until WrestleMania next year. Maybe it's a super long build. Uh, maybe you, have, you try to have a match at King of the Ring or SummerSlam and it doesn't doesn't go off or there's uh, shenanigans or, or something, and you can really build this huge blood feud uh, between these guys even longer now you do that and then you get to brett and sean and it's like okay who goes over you know what's the what's the ramifications for both of those guys because we know that at this point in their respective careers neither of them are particularly eager to lie down uh for somebody um especially if that championship belt's on the line
4: and on a similar note, Eric, uh, we had, you know, we, we talk about injuries and legitimacy of injuries. Sid was uh, basically out of action the entire month with a, with a back injury. Uh, and the plan for this pay-per-view that we're going to review was going to be Brett and, uh, Brett and Sid in a match. And, you know, as we talk about the suspicions, there was the, the belief that Sid was going to lose and so the thought that Sid being injured was a, was a tiny move. Um, with that in mind, Eric, I mean, the show might have died a death had it not been for a, a second marquee match, but Brett and Austin felt a bit. I don't know whether I'd have done that this month, the third match.
6: No, I. I don't know what they would have done uh, for this show. Uh, Brett, Brett and Sid died a death uh, in December, um, and. I was on that show, uh, with, I think it was Rory and yourself, and, and there were just no re- really redeeming qualities to that match. Keeping Brett and Sid apart, whether it was Sid refusing to lie down for Brett, uh, Sid having a legitimate injury, regardless of this Austin-Brett match that occurred, which was, had less heat, and, and ended with a disqualification. And and the storyline, which at some point, you know, only six weeks ago seemed incredibly focused, now seems uh, kind of jumbled up for good and bad. Uh, still better to have those two in the ring at any point uh, than Brett and Sid together. Uh, that In Your House uh, that we're going to review uh, coming up in a few minutes, that might have been an all-time bad show if it wasn't already, if it wasn't for the main and the semi-main uh, with the Undertaker Mankind, Brett and Austin.
5: Don? You say that, oh, why would, you know, I'm not sure I would have done the third match, but who else is there? I mean, Vader's, right. Vader's in jail. Um, the, the star power is with LOD, but they were t- tied up in the tag match. Um, you know, Ahmed Johnson's star power, but he's got, you know, obviously tied up with national domination. There's literally, I can't think of anybody who you would could put in with Bret Hart, and it would, it would kind of make sense storyline-wise, so... They were back on the corner, you know, but, and the fact is that, you know, Austin's got so much momentum going on for fourth than Sid, you know, and, you, you know, Sid's at his peak at MSG and Survivor Series, but ever since then, he's been slowly dropping off that front. And maybe it was a blessing in disguise because not only are you going to get a better match at Austin and Brett, which Eric said, but also you're in danger then of having the newly, you know, healed Brett Hart come out here and then facing a, a, a face who gets little to no reaction, which is what, you know, you don't you really want to have when a freshly new main event heel come up in his first big match on a pay-per-view.
6: Well, and you have to have Brett work on top again, which was their storyline in December. And that match just died because you had the mm-hmm. smaller guy working over the bigger guy for 20 minutes. And, th- and that was before Brett went heel.
4: Yeah. Um, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, I think, with this... Um, because I, I think this this match was really badly placed. Um, I do not think this was the time for the third Bret Austin match. I mean, yeah, admittedly the the feud itself is at its peak heat probably the day after the pay per view. Um, but this is the third match we've seen theirs already. Okay, we'll, we'll review it in a bit. Um, if the, the feud's getting hotter, you're probably going to get a couple more, but I, you know, I don't know how much people are going to care about Brett Austin four and five down the stretch. Um, there's ways of making it work. And yes, you're both right. There isn't, you know, there really isn't, a another match out there that, you know, would even be of, of the standard required for, uh, for a, a, a semi main, if not a main event, and also wouldn't meet the, the, the standard required for a newly turned heel Brett Hart. Um, but yeah, this just felt awkward. We'll, we'll come to the match, uh, in a bit. The other, other bit from, from this show, at least, uh, from the April 7th show. Uh, Eric, wrestling continues its, its latest, you know, just complete swing and a miss with shoot fights and, uh, presenting anything as real as, you know, Ken Shamrock has this quote unquote exhibition. Uh, and the crowd just couldn't give a fuck.
6: I knew we were in for a long five or ten minutes when the very first thing Vince said was, this is an exhibition, not an actual matchup, whatever the fuck that means. Um, so was he – one thing that I thought about, because this is always where my mind goes, was he trying to make it clear this was not a true shoot fight because there's different licensing and different – uh, medical requirements between boxing and wrestling and, and UFC, and with all the scrutiny that UFC's uh, been getting since it started, its incredibly slow ascension uh, a few years ago. Um, but this—you watch UFC, even in you know uh, in its occasional plotting form—and you watch this, and this is not that. This, all you have to do is watch 60 seconds of, of a decent uh, m- uh, UFC. Uh, contest to know that this, this is not what Shamrock and this Vernon White fella did. Uh, not wrestling, not fighting, not really anything. And it didn't help matters when Shamrock went full mount on Vernon White and you clear as day could hear Shamrock scream at Vernon White, tap out, tap out. And, and that was the end of it. There was no bell. It's just, this was just, uh, you know, we complain that they don't that that WWF uh, doesn't try new things to keep up with with WCW, so I can't complain too much that they if they took a shot at doing something different. Uh, but this died a death.
4: Yeah, um, if if the if a wrestling match is the opposite of a a real fight, then this is the opposite of a this is like a photocopy of a photocopy. This is the opposite of a wrestling match in a parallel universe. This is the this is a, yeah, the yeah, the a wrestling match is a fake fight in a real world. This is a real fight in a fake world, I think is what I'm trying to get at here. It's like a it's like a V shape like diagram.
6: My head's going to explode. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um uh, I think we're going, my head exploded
5: what's going, going to the twilight zone with all these cross cross crossing here, but obviously it's, it's...
4: L- little bit, little bit. But yeah, it's just <laughs> it, it you know, like I don't know what, Yeah, you know, we, we said this last year on the ECW show. I mean, at least that kind of had, at least they had the idea that we'll get a, we'll get a name fighter in and put Taz over them, you know, and that, that whole thing came across as, at least this didn't end with Perry Saturn hitting a drop kick on, on yeah. Vernon White or, or, or Ken Shadrock. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know what wrestling is trying to present with this whole shoot fake real thing. Like, you know, like what is, if, if this is real, what's the rest? And if this isn't real, then what is it? What does an exhibition match mean in this context? Like how is, how is this any different to any of the other matches? Like, you know, it's not even like, you could perhaps explain it away by, you know, if, if, if squash matches never happened on wrestling television, if all wrestling matches were real, you, oh, not real, but all wrestling matches were presented as competitive between even competitors, then you could say this is an exhibition in the sense that we're putting Shamrock in someone that's just got out of training school, that kind of thing. And Shamrock's going to go on easy on him a little bit and showcase his moves. Okay. And that's kind of what they tried anyway, but it just, didn't work. And, and Dan, like, I don't know what they're trying to achieve here, but the, the clear point is, is that we've got Ken Shamrock, this, you know, this big name from UFC. We've got to get him over by showcasing his UFC stuff. It's like, well, why not just, why not just have, you know, why not just call UFC and say, you guys want some exposure, send us some, send us some of your tapes.
5: Mm. A quick question. Did he, bla- did he blade Vernon White? No,
4: uh, no, I think that was legit.
5: Right. I'm gonna be contrarian here. I actually liked it. Um Okay. Because right, the whole like the whole exhibition fight itself, that was crap. I completely agree <laughs> with that. It felt it, it reminded me of like boxing public workouts where like the fighter in the trainer gets in the ring and they do some Jabs and some dances, and if you wanted to show a boxing, you know, a no boxing fan, that they teach about it. That's not the way to go about it because it's too choreographed, it's too for show. It's not the legitimate way of of showing of the the you know the great masters of MMA. He split his head open. Um, I'm thinking, right? If Shamrock is was was is doing all this choreography and absolutely making the thing, as soon as he turns it up, him. And he's splitting this bloke's poor open. What's he going when he actually kind of gets into the ring with like a proper, like, you know, big badass like Vader, which is, you know, potentially being linked for next month and can actually kind of cut loose a little bit when he's actually kind of, you know, has a chance to show what he can do rather than this choreography or nonsense.
4: Yeah, but there's a... But there's also um, a presentation so- standpoint to all of this, I think, in that, um, you know, when you look at, say, how the angle they did with Shamrock and Billy Gunn last month, like, I kind of like the idea of kind of, you know, Shamrock you know, kind of getting in the ring and showcasing some of his submissions. But they don't go and get up after the end of the Having to do a stretcher job. And it's not similar here. It's not necessarily what they're doing. It's the way they're presenting it. But I think it's the big problem. Right. You can, you can showcase Shamrock's martial arts moves if you like. But you've got to present it differently. And also, you know, like, it, I, I'd have, yeah, you know, a stretcher job is, is an easy way of explaining it, Eric. But I, I think they need to be more definitive on this. And I think the, the big takeaway of this, and we're not, I'm going to discuss it after the TV, after the pay per view. Is that the best thing they've done with angle? with uh, with the, the best angle they've done with Shamrock and Vader was Shamrock giving a belly to belly on the Final rule of the Month, which is ostensibly a sense for the wrestling movie that you know, was kind of presented as a kind of a UFC type throw. That's the best thing they've done with him.
6: You're right. You know, uh, talk about presentation, and I'll get back. You know, I'll, I'll start with you directly with what you're talking about. I don't know if I would put Shamrock and Vader together so soon. You know, Vader, Vader, at least in the past, and, and pretty easily with a bit of a restart, maybe a four to six week restart, could be presented uh, as the biggest badass, um, you know, quote unquote, shoot fighter that, that's on the WWF roster right now. I don't know if I would immediately put Shamrock and Vader together because what's Shamrock's, you know, where does Shamrock go after he Beats the toughest guy on the roster At that point why don't they just put the WWF championship on him because in Kayfabe he's the toughest guy uh, In the room I don't know if I would start with Vader uh, But you know I don't mind Them uh, presenting Shamrock as this legit badass because He is and that's fine Uh, Maybe work him up uh, to Vader And have that be a match At at King of the Ring or or SummerSlam As as designed to really show the world that Shamrock is, is for real the other thing about presentation here is if you're going to present this as legitimate and this as a legit UFC fight, you cannot have Vince McMahon be on the call for the match.
1: <laughs> Vince McMahon
6: has owned the World Wrestling Federation uh, or been a part of it for the most of his life, and he doesn't even know his own fucking moves. So you have a guy saying the UFC <laughs> heavily features in fighting styles like, quote, jujitsu and... And we're supposed to take this seriously. Let JR make the call or bring out somebody who can make the call to really point out to the crowd why this is supposed to matter instead of having Vince McMahon say, he's tough, this is like they fight in UFC, but not giving the crowd, probably the majority of which is unexposed to this style of fighting, uh, a reason to care and, and, and what to keep an eye on versus what not to keep an eye on because this is supposed to be different from professional wrestling. It's supposed to be nuanced fighting. But as a wrestling fan, as somebody who's, you know, possibly or probably not really that exposed to, to to the UFC style, I don't know what to look for. I don't know that Shamrock is supposed to be good. I don't know that a match can end just with punches, for example, because that never happens in professional wrestling. So the presentation with Vince trying to get this stuff over as is legitimate is, the, is, is the, the biggest glaring issue that I see. Secondary would be Shamrock and Vader being the immediate pairing
4: jiu-jitsu Bloody hell. yeah i think we'll leave it there uh yeah on, on to april the 14th uh it is a show that's that's memorable well noteworthy for for a lot of different reasons um i will sum this show up by saying that jim ross on his hotline the following week said and i quote the show sucked uh the show in itself was a you yeah, know, we talk about Raw's growing pains going to two, out, going to two hours. Uh, it was a hybrid of some stuff taped from the Raw tape in the previous week after after that show. And also a South African live event in front of what it should be said was a lot of people in Johannesburg. Now, those problems with some audio issues that, that, that we, we had on the show, and you end up with... Dan, what I would not argue against being the worst wrestling television show we have covered in this timeline.
5: Uh, yeah, uh, I was. I got on this, when you asked me to, you know, watch this show, I was like, "Well, it can't be like that horrendous," because I've heard you talk about BattleBowl so much on this podcast. So I thinking, <laughs> well, it can't be as bad as BattleBowl. Well, uh, it, it was half a length of
4: BattleBowl. I'll say that.
5: I can understand what to uh, 2.2 rating. I was fighting it didn't do worse than that. I mean, it was a perfect storm of absolutely terrible production values because there's a lot of people there but it still looked a bit iffy. You were in Kuwait, which had even worse lighting. And
4: the, you were South Africa don't, don't confuse those.
5: Yeah. Um, and then the fact that the the matches themselves were awful. You know, I think the biggest star on the show was Ahmed Johnson in an absolutely awful match against the, one of the worst workers in the world, Crush. You had a 18-minute long match with Savio Vega and, the, and Rocky Maivia containing at least five nerve-hold rest holds. Absolutely, yeah, the, the baffling decision to, you know, go, oh, the commentary is gone. We are experiencing technical issues, you know, please apologise for it. But then, like, like, Halfway through the show, like J.R. and Honky Top Man are, are coming through loud and clear to America <laughs> you know, you know, presenting this as, as, as this is live. It was clearly not live. How could you be... It, it was absolutely awful. But they had the cojones or laziness, surely, to go, oh, all these technical difficulties that we had out in, in South Africa. Oh, no, what a shame. Rather than going into post-production, which is what they could have done, and tape over the commentary, because the, the commentary levels that JR and Honky Top Man had in South Africa would pitch perfect. Which you would, which you couldn't even explain. It was stupidity, laziness from all, all involved, and it felt like they were just throwing away the show until they can get some, some more footage put together when they're back in America. And that's not, and yeah.
4: That's not the oh, way I present a go home show. Eric, an eighteen-minute Savio Vega Rocky Maivia match might be the low point of this timeline. It might be, I and mean, there's there's a lot of competition for that, certainly the last six months. But that was a, uh, I, I legitimately fell asleep during the show. That is not a lie. That is not a lie. That did happen. And Eric, this was, you know, we talk about a promotion trying to be hot and a promotion trying to sell pay per views. If I turned on this for half an hour, I'd never watch it again.
6: <laughs> it's, it's, ah, uh, boy, I'm almost speechless. How can a company uh, as uh, troubled as the WWF uh, appears to be if you read all the behind the scenes uh, stories in terms of finances? television ratings, talent depth, viewership, viewer confidence, every metric by which you can measure the success of an entertainment company, how they can justify an 18-minute Savio Rocky match, which was preceded by, uh, I believe, a 12-minute Double J versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley match, uh, both of which either lacked any sort of commentary or heavily featured the honky-tonk man who is – in my opinion, terrible uh, at commentary. Um, uh, They probably, this was probably, not probably, it was uh, a symptom, uh, a result of them having their roster, which is already paper thin, spread over two or three um, continents. Um, So I understand them needing to heavily feature some of these uh, lower card talents but this was the go-home show to a pay-per-view that was basically heatless anyway. And they did absolutely nothing to build confidence for the show coming up immediately following uh, this Raw. Not to mention, they featured for 18 minutes a match between Rocky Maivia and Savio Vega and then did it again uh, at the pay-per-view. And so in the span of one week, you had nearly a half an hour of Rocky Maivia and savio vega featured on w w f television that is not the way to win the ratings battle against w c w um i that's not news uh that but you know sometimes the obvious shit needs to be said because it doesn't seem like the w w f is picking up on it
4: yeah um Sadio vega really isn't it? um you know i mean what did yeah. he do
6: what what what's his what's his move set you know what's his what, t- can anybody tell me what Savio Vega's finishing move is? He's been in the Fed for four it is, years. It is, it is a spin kick, isn't it? I think. Yeah. I think. Okay. okay. But he hit well, it like I, five minutes into the match right. and started
5: working over Rocky. Right.
4: Oh, I, I, I hate think. the fact that I know that, but I believe his finisher is a spin kick. Uh, not <laughs> massively, not that he wins that much with it.
5: Um, I counted four moves, and two of them were punches and kicks. Because I, I got to the stage where I was, I was actually trying to count the amount of boots he did. I will spin kick, a punch, a stomp, the cross body, and a nerve yeah. hole. Five nerve holes. Like we are the nation of fucking nerve holes The way it was, buddy, going after the
6: 18 minutes of that match. The only person who's allowed to do that and get away with it is Yokozuna. That's all I have to say.
4: Speaking of which, Yokozuna's lost a lot of weight, apparently. Oh. Uh, yeah that's, that, that, that surfaced this month so we might we might be able to might get to see that soon uh, th- that was the, that was probably the, the only good thing to come from this show was your reference of yoko that was it uh <laughs> yeah i mean you know look not the easiest situation you know, as we as we said over the last couple of months since they moved to two hours, clearly their their road schedule has not yet ironed itself out to the point where they can tape raw either on a Monday every week live or find another night to take the raw they need to tape to fill in the gaps in the middle. So they are having to patch some shows together. Um, but there's got to be better ways than this. There's got to be better ways than th- anything would be better than this. Like re- rerun old matches or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they, uh, they got this one wrong and it will, yeah, it, it, if they can produce a show worse than that in the next three years, I'll be very impressed. Very impressed. Anyway, let's move on to the pay-per-view. Dan, kick us off with the results.
5: Owen Hart and the British Bulldog retained their WWF Tag Team titles after losing by disqualification to the Legion of Doom. Rocky Maivere retained his WWF Intercontinental title after losing by a count-out to Savio Vega. Jesse James defeated Rockabilly. Undertaker retained his WWF title, defeating Mankind. And Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Bret Hart in the main event by disqualification.
6: All right, what do this time? The show featured a dusty finish in a championship match, Rockabilly, in a screwed-up fireball spot, uh, followed uh, and, and sandwiched in there. was a good enough uh, Austin-Brett match and a pretty good Undertaker-Mankind match. <laughs> Uh, but this show uh, could not be salvaged despite the efforts of the final four competitors. Don. Yeah, the two
5: times I've been on the show previously, we've had an absolutely fantastic main event propping up a draw on the card. And I don't think these two main events were up to that level, really, to say. By um, the amount of screwiness that was going on with the, the referees, the outside interference, the disqualifications... And some of the finishes of in this show were absolutely awful. Um, so, yeah, another kind of disappointing album uh, from the WWF in 1997.
4: Yeah, I, uh, you spent 25 bucks on this show. God help you. Um, let's say that. Um, you know, like I – when they first went to monthly pay-per-views uh, – I don't quite know what they were getting at. I believe the idea was that they were just thinking, "Well, shit, WCW going monthly. We better kind of follow them out." But at least uh, in the eighteen months that followed that move, and more of this was down to Nitro started, and then I think WCW explicitly in the pay views. But at least WCW expanded their talent roster to to cope with the extra demand of shows. Um. Raw right now, with WWF right now, probably isn't quite at the low point it was about eight or nine months ago, but it isn't really much better off. Um, And when you get, you know, when you've got stars limited in two matches, uh, both with booking problems and everything else, I mean, this was only a five-match card. I mean, God knows what might have happened if they'd have had six or seven. Um, I suspect there would have been an Armour Fruit type match on this card, but Fruit's obviously injured um and yeah we'll uh we'll get to those finish and we start off with the legion of doom hawk and animal versus owen hart and the british bulldog for the wws tag team titles owen bulldog come out to brett's music which is a bit weird jim ross on commentary claims owen and bulldog aren't intimidated by the lod except right at that exact moment they were reluctant to get in the ring animal counters the ddt and chucks owner across the ring hawk hits the big shoulder tackle onto bulldog bulldog responds with a big soaring suplex Vince McMahon in an attempt to push the anti-america storyline calls the champs the canadians we see steve austin arrive o rallies out of a submission with an enziguri on hawk there's a miscommunication from an owner bulldog and hawk manages to shove one into the other hawk picks up bulldog puts him onto animal on the second rope hits a lovely power slam and they win which is a surprise Oh wait! They're saying that Bulldog wasn't a legal man, so the match must restart. Bulldog and Owen uh, must return, otherwise they will lose the belts anyway. So they do, and we restart. Owen tags in, hits a spin kick. He goes to the top, misses the diving headbutt. Hawkins double clothesline and sends Bulldog into the ring steps so they go for a doomsday device which hawk hits on owen the ref goes to count the pin but as he flies into position he stops he then looks at animal and tells him that he must leave the ring which is a rule that i've never heard of before basically what the ref is waiting for is the bret hart is meant to run out of this moment and break up the fin and force a DQ. but he's missed his spot the ref buys about two or three seconds, not a significant length of time, but enough to make it look really shit. Brett Brett runs out, breaks up the pin, and forces the VQ. Eric, I I think if there's a a better way to start the flatness of this match, it was the flatness of this finish.
6: I question the intelligence of having the guy with the serious (laughs) knee injury in need of surgical intervention, doing a um, (laughs) run-in that needs to be carefully choreographed. Um, in order to get there right between a natural two and a natural three. Um, they say an opening match is designed to set the tone for the entire pay-per-view uh, or the entire show. In that respect, this match hit its mark 100% because it absolutely set the tone for what was to come. Uh, <laughs> Dusty finish, followed by referee changing the rules, Followed by a fucked up finish. Bravo! That's exactly what we got for the next uh, two hours in various forms.
4: That's the trifecta, Dan.
6: If I could eliminate,
5: three, you know, one of you know, what my route much more of things I would like to remove from wrestling permanently. It's the video, you know, the referee coming out to reverse his decision or the video referee or anything like that. It's absolutely nonsensical. How many tag matches have either? Finish with the illegal man being pinned or pinning a guy, or having referee not reversing a you know, a shenanigans heel because of you know, phone interference. It makes no sense to ever include it, and if you are going to include it, make it consistent throughout the entire show. Which, spoiler alert, they don't.
4: Yeah, they. Include...
5: The... Go. it yeah. down. So I was going to say, if you, if you read your report, like there's, there's stuff in here which is like a stalling suplex on the hawk. Gorilla plus slams, insegurities, a big power slam, you know, Doomsday's squat you know, a big power slam off the top rope. It sounds impressive. Is nowhere close to that. It was slow. The Owen and Bulldog were nowhere close to, you know, the, the level of the, the match they had against Philip, um, Furniss and Fon in February. Um.
4: That, that but was another book match as well with a bad finish.
5: LOD just don't do it for me at all. They, they, they just feel like 2 overbooked power guys at the minute. I can't stand Hulk no-selling. Um, and, yeah, I just think they just under-delivered in terms of the star power teams. In w- and they have really fell by their expectations.
4: I mean, I, I, I was under the impression that when we showed the... When when the tag taxi division was shown of, you know, the body donners and the... The Godwins are still around, but they're not wrestling in in, in major spots. I was kind of hoping that'd be the end of it, like the end of this level of match. But and this had star power. Legion of Doom had star power. Owen and Bulldog are pretty good, certainly relative to other WS tags in recent times. Just didn't work. Um, <coughs> the I don't want to say the styles clashed, but they didn't mesh very well. Um, as in the power on power thing was was kind of the point, but. It didn't really get over, and then you've got the, you know, the crowd that were pretty flat, but they popped for the title change or the title change they thought was happening, and then it just, you know, then like, oh right, restart. And, and and Dan, you're you're right when you say it's the it's the inconsistency. But like a lot of things in the wrestling, they'll just book it when it suits them. They'll, they'll they'll book the the video interference when it the 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 the, you know, the kind of second ref when it works for what they want to try and get over, and when they when it doesn't, they won't. Um, just bad. Just a bad way to start the show. Like I think, mechanically, not a bad match. As in, it's not like there were many mistakes made. It's not like the the prowess on show in terms of the moves individually was all that bad. Um, but that's largely where my praise ends. Um, yeah, a a dead match to kick us off. We get back to interview with Owen Bulldog, who don't want to believe Steve Austin is at a WWF pay-per-view. We then get a touchy-feely WWF uh, phone line promo from with Sonny and Brian Pillman. And here comes the Legion of Doom. not they went. A Legion of Doom, nation domination. That's right. <laughs> so, wish, it, wish it had been the Legion of Doom. Anyway, next up, it's Xavier Vega with Crush and the NOD versus Rocky Maivia for the WWF Intercontinental title. We start out of the gate. Rocky has to fight off interference out walks through to come on commentary his arm in a sling out to separate his shoulder crush hits a spin kick and falls over to the floor quite good that i think it's savio vega actually uh the crowd is so quiet i'm not even sure the announcers are using microphones savio starts working the shoulder forever a few moves back to the shoulder rocky recovers and hits a photo with ddt and both men are out savio charges at rocky in the corner and ends up hitting the turnbuckle with his shoulder Rocky hits a one-arm slam for a two. He charges at Savio, who throws him through the ropes and onto Crush, who hits a heart punch while the ref is distracted. The ref counts to ten, and it ends by countout. Savio isn't happy at Crush. Crush confronts him in the ring. There's a big spark of life in the crowd as it looks like the NOD are going to go at it. Mason and PG30 get into the ring to try and resolve it. PG-13 throw my back into the ring and they go after the Rocky. Then Hacksaw Ahmed Johnson comes out dressed in <laughs> red and them off. Ahmed says in one night he needs to beat this illegal immigrant, this convict and your black ass. He accepts the challenge of fighting all three on the same night and I'm guessing that's going to happen at next month's pay-per-view. Um, Dan, at least it was in 18 minutes.
5: No, it's the one saving grace in the match. Um... And just imagine if Harlem Heat were the Nation of Domination as opposed to Savio Vega and Crush. <laughs> Two worst workers on your roster are in what could have been such a great angle, but in, at the end of it, it's just fizzled out completely.
6: Or the gangsters. Uh,
4: gangsters would have been a different kind of entertaining. Uh, whether they'd have been any better in the ring than Savi and Crush, <laughs> is another story, but it would damn sure would have been compelling. God damn. Uh, yeah,
5: Savio uh, Vega is just so awful, <laughs> he's just so dull This is no, no match he's in that I can get invested because A, I'm watching for that nerve hole every time now because of that damn 18 minute monstrosity in, in South Africa, and two, because he's got the charisma of a, of a flea he's, it's awful and uh, don't get me started on the finish, the finish makes both Crush and Salve Vega look like absolute eejits you know, you you can get out of the ring you can roll them back in the ring. You do know that, right? The same with Crush. You know, you can get Rock back in the ring. Is that isn't illegal? <laughs> and to, yeah, to, I know. I know they're trying to sow some dissension into, into domination and whatnot. But sure, that you could have come up with a better way than this. Maybe you know, Crush. You know, turns his back on the ring. by whips Vega into the ropes, and Crush just trips up, trips up Vega and then Rocky rolls him up with a cradle, that sort of thing. That way you can get over the fact that there's tension in the Nation domination and you can get Rocky Maivere a win instead of this absolute dud.
4: That's um, the only comparison between this match and the Jeff Jarrett-Shaw Michaels match from 95 that I think is going to carry, given that they were otherwise the opposite. Any, any more, Dan? I know you were just about to wrap up.
5: Uh, no, Dan, no, I'm, I'm the less said about this match the better.
6: Eric. I have a lot of questions, most of them Dan just covered, but I'll ask him again. Why didn't Crush throw so Rocky back in? Why didn't Savio go out and get Rocky to throw him back in the ring? Why did Savio beat Rocky again under any circumstance? And why is the feud between Ahmed and Farouk and the Nation of Domination still going? Um, That's it. Uh, the best thing about this match was Farouk on commentary when he laid out this plan to challenge Ahmed to face every member of the nation of domination. I forget who it was, Vince McMahon, uh, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler. One of them said, well, why would Ahmed ever accept that challenge? And Farouk simply said, because he's an idiot, and that's what idiots do. And then Ahmed comes out and says, I accept your challenge. So maybe there is some method to Farouk's madness here. um, But uh, if that method is going to be putting Savio Vega against Rocky Maivia time after time after time... Uh, god help us all yeah
4: um i, I, I said my bit on savio vega i mean the spin kick to the outside was quite impressive um but yeah like i i, I don't know i don't know like who's watching this show if it's vincent at ringside or the guys backstage that think yeah this is good Like you know, I I know to a point. There's the well. We need a we need a a chapter in the the Ahmed Farouk story. Okay, but this wasn't it. Um, The post match angle was okay. Um, You know, you that they're trying the illegal immigrant, the convict, and your black ass. I mean, they're trying. Um, But you know. It, nobody cares South Vegas crap Rocky my ears is all green is all hell um let's move on get backstage interview with Sable and Mark Marrow conveniently placed outside of a men's toilet Austin goes into the toilet we hear some commotion from Owen and then Owen and Bulldog leave with Bulldog carrying a golf club the insinuation being that Owen and Bulldog were just waiting for Austin to go for a piss um what would have happened if he hadn't have walked in I guess we'll never know um so yeah but that that's the angle to set up essentially the the, the flipping of the two main events next up it's jesse james that's j a double m e s versus well we'll find out on top man comes out carrying guitar he teases the artist formerly known as he then pauses and king just blurts out prince turns out it's the artist formerly known as billy Gunn, now known as rockabilly who comes out dancing. <laughs> And I just have a line that says, this is dead on arrival. Anyway, it's Jesse Hamez or Jamez versus Rockabilly <laughs> with Honky Tonk Man. James hits a running clothesline off of the apron for mouthing off at Honky. Rockabilly is basically Billy Gunn who stalls a bit between moves. Billy hits a back elbow he stalls doing some dancing so when he charged at James in the corner he crashed into the turnbuckle 10 punch from James Billy goes to climb the turnbuckle to do a, two, a suplex I think James rolls out of it and roll up and gets a quick pin Dan
5: Bob brace yourself I think I found something worse than Savio Vega his name is Rockabilly
4: <laughs> well, I mean and- I, I did think at one point during Raw that followed what would happen if Savio Vega faced Billy Gunn.
5: Um, so, so, I was going to say, Bob, this is oh. probably your Dante's inner circle of hell. Here we've had Savio Vega, and now we've had Hong in consecutive matches. Yeah, that'd be
6: the eighth circle of hell. That'd be the next level down. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh Jesus, this is awful. <laughs> this is it's, it's, it's dancing isn't even dad dancing. It's hip rep- replacement grandpa dancing. It's absolutely atrocious. I, I can't believe that B- Billy Gunn's got his. Even a semblance of his heart into this into this um, character at all. He just looks like he wants to die. He wants to leave his leave his promotion as soon as he can it's because he's saddled with this awful gimmick. I feel sorry for Jesse James. I actually think he's got some sort of charisma on the microphone. He's just saddled with his... another gimmick, and he's been stuck in this terrible. Not surprised the build up and the execution of what they were presented with, the fans absolutely gave this the attention it deserved, which was absolutely subtle.
6: Uh, Eric, rockabilly. Oh. Uh, more adventures in Vince McMahon commentary. Quote, I don't understand this at all, <laughs> unquote. Well, thanks, Vince. Neither do us uh, watching, and thank you for bearing your own horrendous idea. Uh, Bob, I had a thought when I was watching this match. And I say this as jovially and as collegially as possible. I look forward to any show of yours that has Delmere on it. I really wish you had had Delmere on this to tell me what kind of like forward-thinking, excellent wrestling match and storyline this would have been um, because I couldn't find the argument. I was really looking for it. And I need Del's wisdom to tell me why this was good. well, I, I, he would have told us that you know they
4: that they wanted to keep the crowd low because of what was coming afterwards. You don't want to you don't want to burn the crowd out with an excellent eight minute mm. Billy Gunn, you know Jesse James match, you know because you've got your title match coming up. You know you just you know they've just gone through this you know. They've just been waiting on the edge of their seats for the ritual sacrifice of the nature of domination that never happened. So yeah. you know, you, you just simmered those interests. I, I can't do. I, I can't do it. No, I can't. Can't. This,
6: this was so bad. Love you, Adele, and I agree. Viper is, uh, is 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 top notch. Um, man, you know, just fuck this whole angle. Get these guys into better into something else. Why is this still on television in 1997?
4: It was on Raw the next night.
6: And 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 on that note, you have. It's so, it, it, I don't even understand it. You have, see, now I'm back into it. I tried to get out of it, now I'm back into it. You have this long build for Honky Tonk Man. It seems like it's been a year that he's been looking for a protege. And he finds one, and it's Billy Gunn, and they come out, and he loses in five minutes cleanly to Double J, who's about the lowest of the low card baby faces on the roster. And then the next night on Raw, they completely flip it. And my point is, if you're going to put Rockabilly over in any sense, why not put him over here? It's his debut. You've immediately killed the character on arrival. His win the next night on Raw they doesn't matter. He walked out. The but, matter. But, but there is a universe. Okay, here we go. There is a universe where no matter what the gimmick is, if they win enough and if they win convincingly enough, they can become something more than what Rockabilly is. Um, they can become. But, but has Rocky Maivia proved that's not possible? it Prince <laughs> Ok prove the same thing? You know, you, you you might be right. You might be right. But I think we can all agree: when you debut somebody, and it's a, been a, a six-month, year-long build-up to whatever this is going to be, and they come out and lose in five minutes to Jesse James, just forget it. What, what's the point? Put put the other guys on this in this file. Put fill in the Laf- uh, La- and Furnace here. Just just do something else. If this is what you're going to do. To to channel Kevin Mitchell here, do you think they might have called audible?
5: And
4: uh, you mean Kira and, Mitchell? But Kira yeah. Mitchell,
5: sorry, Kira yes. Mitchell. Yeah. Um, where they just think, okay, Rockabilly is originally going to go over and go. Oh, actually, the crowd reaction here is absolutely awful. That's as good the babyface away, well. and so we could pop the crowd a little bit. No. I I, I was don't... thinking that was, I'm I'm trying my best to <laughs> think of some sort of semblance <laughs> of logic here.
4: It's just fuck this shit, I mean really yeah. like, it's just like, the, the rest, re, like wrestling is a blank canvas right, this ain't, this ain't boxing, this ain't sports you can do whatever the fuck you want with a two hour show you can sign whoever you want to your roster There's not like there's 20 other teams competing for the best wrestling talent there's only one other team right, and they've got a lot of guys, there's a lot, a lot of talented guys out there this, fuck this, like just Fuck the first 45 minutes of this show. Right. I mean, just do anything else. Anything else. Like, I. Oh, fuck it. Moving on. Kevin Kelly gets comments from Steve Austin, who's pissed off but still bullish about Bree and Brett tonight. Grunemont soon says he's rearranged the lineup on the card. Undertaker and Mankind will go on next, and Austin will get more time to recover. Borog says Austin started it. Brett says, who's crying now for walking off? It's Mankind with Paul Bearer versus The Undertaker for the WWF title. We start out before the bell, fast-paced actions, Undertaker beats down on Mankind in the corner. Undertaker has a bad injury around his eye. We spill to the floor and Undertaker shells Mankind into the guardrail twice. Shockingly both times, Mankind takes a horrid-looking bump on the back of his head. Bit more action around the guardrail before he returns to the ring, Undertaker completely in control, which usually means he's losing. Undertaker walks to the top rope right and does a diving clothesline, just about managing not to slip off the top when executing the move. Bearer shouts to get involved, but Undertaker cuts him off, and Mankind hits Undertaker with the urn for a nice near fall. Undertaker rays out of submission, while the fans chant rest in peace. We go back to the outside. Undertaker blocks an attempt by Mankind to ram into the ring steps and hits one of his own. Mankind takes a pitcher of water and cracks it over Undertaker's head. It disintegrates, so it's clearly a stump one. Mankind follows that with a chair shot to the head. Apparently this match is no DQ and even Vince doesn't understand it. Mankind goes to the second rope and drops an elbow to the floor. I don't envy his hips taking that move. Still, at least it's in a big match. Mankind hits the pile driver. Undertaker barely gets his shoulder up. He goes for a second and hits that one too. Undertaker fights back on instinct. The ref goes down and Mankind puts the mandible claw in. Now the ref comes out so Mankind puts the mandible claw on him as well. Mankind grabs the ring steps. Mankind puts them in the ring. Undertaker does just about a good enough job of drop kicking them into mankind's face. Undertaker hits a huge chair shot onto mankind's head. Mankind gets trapped in the ropes in the hangman spot that he had in Germany a few years ago. Undertaker manages to whip mankind's mask off, then hits mankind with the steps, sending you off the apron and through, and by that I mean through, the Spanish announcer's table. As in a mankind shaped hole in the middle of a largely otherwise stable table. Fucking hell! Undertaker hits a choke slam back in the ring. A slow count from the ref. And mankind actually kicks out. Which I thought it was a, bit of a surprise. Undertaker hits a tombstone. That will do that. And Undertaker retains the title. We'll come to the post match angle in a bit. Eric.
6: I think it's good that you stopped where you did because as of as of right now, this was another really really. Good match, good brutal match between these guys. A lot of cool spots. You know, the glass pitcher. What are you gonna do? That looked that looked as good as it can look and still be genuinely safe. Um, the steps into mankind's face, the chair shots, that fucking headfirst. Like it's like a, a diving board into a swimming pool. Uh, uh, you know, is how I can describe that into the table. They've had this match before, they, they keep, you know, they, it's the same basic structure with different spots, but I don't see a problem with having two guys who really know how to work together, uh, go out there and put in, uh, what's, you know, probably a, a good solid four-star, you know, three and a half, four-star match, um, it, it, to, to, to bring up a show that's otherwise been incredibly laughable. So, just fine, just really, really good match. If you've liked the matches these guys have had before, I would say it's probably on par, Um you know, uh, with uh, with the with everything else they've done, done. I'll, I'll go so
5: say step five. I would say this is probably the regular match they've had together. Um, and yeah, I think the only thing that comes close is the bear alive match, which was kind of more spectacle than anything else. Um, mankind trying to kill himself again, but this time this time was actually in the main event for the WWF title. So. I, I on the same page as you, Bob, I didn't know this was an O D Q match because I've just got the here screaming where's the disqualification after Mankind bashes and taking the head with a chair right in front of the referee. Um again, another example of Shoddy officiating in the in the night so far. But uh, yeah. These two guys know each other inside out. They've had the feed of the year last year and this felt like a great way to finish the feud because I you know, I think it was a little bit disappointing in Survivor Series, you know in November where this was the big final match between the two of them and it just ended with a meek tombstone and got, let's not mention the executioner so yeah this felt this felt like a really nice culmination to the feud that's been asking awesome over a year with Unseeker as a champion Mankind trying to challenge him for the belt and Unseeker winning it felt like a perfect culmination to this great story that they've had for last year so yeah two thumbs up for me
4: yeah whether it's actually the culmination is probably another story um yeah, I thought this was really good. Um, you know, I and mean, a lot of the credit is just mankind putting his body well beyond the line, well beyond it. Um, but as we, as you kind of said, and as I said before, like if you are going to do it, and I don't envy him trying to walk around in 10 years' time, but if you are going to do it, this is the kind of setting to do it on. Like, don't do it in front of 1,100 people at the ECW arena. Do it on a stage that matters. So there is at least that. Um, And the bulk of my praise of this match was Mankind doing crazy shit. Um, But that table spot, I mean, I've never seen that before. We've seen people go through tables before, both here and and in ECW, uh, to an extent in WCW as well. But generally when you go through a table, you go through either back first or on your chest, and you go through perpendicular to where the tables lay. So, you essentially kind of the table collapses around you. I was like a hit mankind with the steps. He leapt off of the apron. And then, as Eric, you kind of said, he basically just five head thrust through the top of the table. And then the table kind of half collapsed. But there was a very definite mankind shaped hole in the middle of what was otherwise two sides that were intact. It was just a mankind shaped gap it's like, fucking hell. I I was quite surprised Mankind kicked out the chokeslam because I would have just had that in the match, um, basically on a way of of selling the spot. Um, But yeah, it it wasn't a great match, but there was enough going on and Mankind doing enough crazy shit where it got very good. Um, Dan, my question at this stage, this match should have gone on last, right?
5: Yeah, especially because the pay-per-view is called Revenge of the Taker. You know, you would assume that the guy who's named after it would be headlining it. It's again, as I've mentioned, it's the feud of the year in our in our book, basically, especially in the WWF in 1996. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of like that that image of mankind is getting his going head first through a table, it's most striking image of the night. Given the finish of the of the match that comes after this, it makes it's a feel good moment for the crowd to have their babyface champion, go over cleanly against the, against the man who's made his life the living hell for the last year. Yeah, it, it just makes sense to this to go on. but yeah, I guess it's... they fought
4: them. On a show where we've had the old man of terrible finish for the sake of trying to protect two guys, if ever there was a finish that was undecisive, that would have been really, really effective, it would have been ending the match the minute Mankind went through the table. If ever there was a finish that, that protected a guy that felt satisfying, that would have been it. Like, I wouldn't necessarily have the chokeslam, let alone mankind kicking out of it. My God knows they have the angle where they come to it in a sec. Um, but, yeah, like, I, this should have been last for me, particularly what they were following up with. I don't quite know why they did it, um, you know as we spoke about earlier, like I don't, I'd don't, i be very, very surprised if Brett versus Sid would have headlined this show. I'd have been shocked. And I don't know that they had enough in the finish of the main event to justify doing what they did here. But then we get to this post-match angle. So, Taker goes after the Bearer, Bearer kills some time so Mankind can recover. Basically the idea was that Mankind was in it some flash paper, attempt to light it into Undertaker's face, but Undertaker was either going to move and, and, and let poor Bearer wear it, or he was going to drag Bearer into the line of path. Problem was, I think, Mankind wasn't able to light it, so the whole thing kind of fell apart. Um, eventually Undertaker kind of disposed of Mankind, then picked up the fire paper and lit it into Bearer's face himself, because they're doing a bit where Undertaker's burnt Bearer's face. That was the big angle. Eric, this didn't fucking work.
6: (laughs) Just as we thought the show was on the upswing, it comes right back into the depths of where we were before this match. It almost was comforting to know that even the Undertaker and Mankind uh, could not uh, fully rescue this show or this spot um the fireball spots are always really really tricky i'm still surprised they even still go there uh because it seems like you know when they work when they work well it comes off really great and i guess it's genuinely safe but when they don't come off it just looks really bad and these guys these two guys just especially foley just worked their asses off and he went headfirst to a table and he took unprotected chair shots and hip shots and everything and then the whole thing just dies a death, uh, because they can't get the damn flash paper to work. And I wouldn't want to concuss, m- you know, mankind trying to light flash paper anyway. So I don't know why, what, you know, I get why they were trying to do it, but maybe don't do it right after this match. Um, just, uh, it's just, this whole show just, you know, as much as those guys tried to, tried to save it, this show just turned into a clown show.
4: Done.
5: Flash paper spots is just it's so hit and miss. And you know, the one they had, you know, two weeks ago to kinda of up the untaker's burn face. I think that went about as well as you could actually hope. But even when you describe the actual what they intended to do, Bob, that sounds like really convoluted anyway. Like even if they if, if the flash paper went off without a hitch, taker's gotta get Paul Bearer right in the right spot, he's gotta move out of the way, he's gotta throw Bearer in the face. I actually think that, you know, take away that two minutes of them just walking around the ring going, oh, please, no, what are you doing to me? If you took all of that out and just had Taker end up doing what he ended to, you know, did to Paul Bear, which is just him the corner him in the turnbuckles and then just light the paper in his face. I actually think that works because, again, as I said before, Paul Bear betrayed him Taker and Taker hasn't got managed to get his hands on him for the last eight months and he's finally got a chance, he lights his face on fire. You know, that's actually like babyface, but I don't think Taker really applies for that because he's uh, beyond the realms of the mortal, us mortals living in, the, in a, on Earth here. But yeah, I think lighting a guy's face on fire as an ultimate revenge for what he did eight months ago it actually quite works. So you know, It's just a shame that what happened two minutes beforehand.
4: I love the mechanics of the idea that all six foot ten of Undertaker and all. Five for eight of Paul Bearer, and the story they came up with was that mankind was going to aim for Undertaker's face, <laughs> but end up inadvertently burning Bearer. Oh,
6: he's like, a big target.
4: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but not in that dimension. Right. Like they'd have, they have to be lying down for that to make sense. Um, yeah, like credit to Undertaker for, you know, we we referenced Kieran for for, for coming up with an audible on the fly. Great Undertaker for coming up with something that was probably far more effective, as you guys said, than what they the idea they actually had. Like something that made far more sense. The like Undertaker just getting his revenge and then you know. Yeah, but I now I'm just not a big fan of fireball spots in wrestling. Like it yeah. they were trying to sell like it was a you know, Bear's face was scarred for life and they showed the replay and it it looked impressive but not you know, not as good as it should have done, if that makes sense. Or not as good as something like that. you imagine fireball. You think something big and lasting. It's kind of like a poof. Dan? Yeah,
5: yeah, a yeah, It looks a bit naff. I will admit that, but uh, I think I think Taker did the best with what he could after that absolute shambles of 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 two minutes of mankind desperately trying to work it. But uh, if I didn't see another fireball spot, I would not be complaining. let but that way.
4: Mm. Yeah, a promo f- um, from Brett. He says, we've got a war here. He wants to end Austin's career tonight. Brett Hart with Owen and Bulldog versus Stone Cold Steve Austin is our main event. At least that was Brett's plan. Owen and Bulldog get held up by refs, and the hour wait for Grilla Monsoon sends us to the back. I've got a funny feeling this isn't the last we're going to see of them tonight. Like every other match this evening, the action begins before the bell. Austin hits a suplex. They're brought to the outside. Brett gets sent hard into the ropes. Or is the ring steps, sorry. Austin mocks Brett's posing in the ring, then sends him into the ring steps again. Austin drops a forearm from the second rope, hits Brett, who then ducks to the floor. Austin gets a chair in the ring. Brett then kicks Austin and takes down the ref. Brett goes after the knee of Austin and then helps the ref to his feet. Austin fights back on an injured leg. Brett goes for the turnbuckle figure four spot. Brett takes a chair to Austin's knee. We get a picture in picture of Paul Bearer being stretched into the ambulance. Brett whips off Austin's knee brace then carries on the attack. Austin buys some time with a low blow and then starts choking Brett. Austin goes for an apron suplex but Brett blocks it and suplexes Austin back in the ring. Brett goes for a long figure four, then back to the turnbuckle figure four but Austin blocks it. Austin sends Brett over the guardrail, rail, but returns to the ring and the action slows down a bit. Austin attempts a pile driver but his leg collapses. Brett gets dropped on the turnbuckle. Austin shakes for a sign, but Brett grabs onto the ropes and then low blows Austin. Brett hits the superplex. Brett goes for another sharpshooter. Austin hits him with his knee brace, then puts a sharpshooter in on Hart. And here comes Bulldog and Owen. The ref sees them off, and Austin goes for the sharpshooter again. Bulldog steps into the ring, smashes Austin over the back with a chair, and that forces the DQ. After the match, Austin goes back for another sharpshooter. Funny that there's far more heat for this than there was when he did it during the match. Show goes off the air with Austin walking out under his own steam after Brett had to be helped to the back. Eric. Uh,
6: You know, the problem with... Well, not a problem. Brett and Austin have kind of done themselves in uh, a little bit by having two superior matches uh, prior to this one. Uh, In terms of technical wrestling and, you know, classic uh, mat-based Action, their Survivor Series match is one of the best in recent memory. The WrestleMania match, you know, nothing more needs to be said about that. It might be the best uh, WWF match of all time, certainly in the last uh, number of years. These guys just, I don't think this match had any chance to top it. Uh, and it didn't. It certainly didn't. It was a really good, really good match. This, you know, ha- had this been their first match between the two of them, I think we all would have been like, okay, good match, D- DQ finish." Where do we go from here? These guys can definitely top it. The problem is it's their third match, and and it's it's got uh, it's we're getting into declining returns here. Uh, But you know, in fairness to them, the match was Brett was working injured. The match was set up to essentially write Brett off between tonight and tomorrow night. It turns out, Um, but just like everything else on this show, uh, generally under delivered, uh, even when you factor in those uh, uh, those caveats, it's just you know. I would have, I kind of agree now that I would have waited to, to do this rematch, maybe until Brett, uh, was, uh, was fully healthy. But what are you going to do? Uh, you have no other talent to put in this spot. You don't want to give away a clean ending on a, on a, essentially a throwaway in your house show. They book themselves into a corner as they often do. So, uh, this match is just square in the middle of acceptable.
4: Could have done Brett and Ken Shamrock.
6: But again, do you want do you want to put Shamrock up that far uh, this soon, or do you want to build him up to make him credible?
4: Uh, well, I mean, you, you would have had the same fuck finishes you had anyway. Right. But yeah, Shamrock's the only guy. Shamrock was the only guy you could have put in that spot, but I agree there's, there's, there's enough weaknesses there. Dan?
5: In terms of the, as you mentioned, Bob, the mechanics of a match, the in-ring action and what's happened outside the ring, I thought this was on par with the stuff that they had did in their first few matches, but it just didn't have that big fight feel that they had to the MSG match or the epic double turn of WrestleMania. So it's obviously going to make you feel a little bit more deflated and a bit less enthusiastic about the match itself. Um, I thought Brett's style works so much better as a heel. You know, it it's, makes more sense as a body part as a heel. You get the crowd more invested in it because it's, you know, it's... Working on, working with a body part of a baby face. It works really well because he had Austin selling like an absolute star on his knee throughout like the entire match. Knowing that we had Brett needing surgery on his knee throughout the, you know, after, after this match makes this performance even better. I thought they told a really good story. So yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed this match. Um, but as I, and I keep, I don't want to keep mentioning this because it's, I've mentioned it all night, but where's the DQ for the chair shots and the knee? Where's the DQ for the low blow? And that finish is so deflating, you know. In the third match you would have you would have, I would've liked to see Austin, you know, get a visual win. You know, maybe by you know hitting the stunner and then out comes Brett, um British Bulldog and Owen Hart to to pull the referee out, for example, rather than this sharp sharp shooter spot where we know that Brett isn't gonna tap. Um then yeah, it uh, that finish did that, 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 that down the match a little bit, but in terms of the action itself and the story they told, I i was a bigger fan of this match than I thought I would be.
4: Yeah, I well, you Dan. I I don't know that from a bell to bell perspective or from an in ring perspective this match was necessarily any worse than the other two and yet I was a lot more flat than I was certainly on the last one and probably from their Survivor series match as well. Um In part because I was watching the match with a bit of a chip on my shoulder in the sense I'm just like, this match should not be happening here and now. They should not be having a third. Also from the fact that, given that they are moving Austin into a main event spot, um, it was never going to end cleanly. I mean, you could have done, you know, you could have done the Austin submission spot on Brett, but it essentially would have been the complete reversal of the finish from last month. So I don't think they could have done that. Um, Yeah, the action was good, but it was kind of like a... It was last month's match without any of the drama. And, and as I kinda of said last month, I don't know that last month was necessarily a great match. I think it was a great, it was a great story. I don't know that it was a great match. And you know, th- th- those aren't, those two things aren't necessarily all that separated. But this was, this was last month's match without any of the drama. And it was fine, but it wasn't that good. Particularly as we'd already seen it, like Brett working over Austin's knee for the bulk of the match, like I saw that last month. Um, I combined that Eric with the inevitability of the finish, and I was kind of a bit flat on what was what was actually quite a good match. It
6: was a. I, I've I've no no disagreement that this was a fine uh, match. Uh, these guys always have fine matches in my opinion. Um, but uh, again, you you put this match as the main event of this show. Crowd's dead. Audience is dead. Any, any wrestling fan with any sort of knowledge of how this stuff works knows this match is not going to end with a clean finish. Or, or if it does, it's going to be a clean finish that gets torn apart uh, at some point down the road uh, because there would be nefarious means um, to get to even get a 1-2-3, I mean, not even a clean finish per se. That As they do so often and as we've talked about, they book themselves into a corner and they, they only compounded the problem Uh, of doing that by putting this match on last um even though the fireball spot in the match before uh, maybe wouldn't be the best way to to end the show um seeing a a man get his face uh, you know burned off oh see it see you tomorrow night folks turn in to see if paul bear is still alive you know i i understand why they wouldn't necessarily do that um but but having this match um so soon um having it essentially be, like you said, uh, the, the same basic structure as their their Mania match without any of the heat. Uh, the crowd was dead by this point. Um, yeah, good match, but uh, circumstantially uh, was uh, definitely brought down.
4: Yeah, I, I, I wonder whether this match actually might do a bit of damage to the, their program. I don't think it will. Um, we're going to discuss what happened the next night on Raw, and I, I don't think there was any lingering effects there. But their next pay for you match will be Brett Austin four. you get through that, and you know even let's say you can you know you can justify giving Brett and Austin a clean win over Brett. the next match is number five, and even you know you get you get to November for the fifth match that 's the fifth match inside twelve months mm-hmm. you know maybe they'll be able to make it work, but for me, when we talk about there was no other options, I kind of wonder whether this was worse than no other options, in that you almost wonder whether Brett and Austin not being on the card. I mean, the card would have sucked. But, you know, I don't know whether a good match at the expense of what these guys could potentially draw, had they not have had a third match right now. Imagine if the rematch was... SummerSlam, number the the third match was SummerSlam with Austin carrying the title. I think if they were to go down that route, and they might, if they were to go down that route, I don't think this match being on this month will help that. It might not be all that much of an issue if they can work around it. But I don't know that Brett Austin for for the title means as much as Brett Austin 3 for the title does particularly as I suspect the next time these guys face off on pay-per-view it's also going to be a fuck finish and then it's like well okay then we do the fifth one because we've got to do a fifth one but then you've got to provide us a winner and then it's done and so I just wonder whether this might impact their ability to do business down the line I
5: think I Bob as well though, you you you've got to not not booked too far in advance. I mean, you, know, you can say, oh well, the fourth one's gonna come at SummerSlam. The fifth one's gonna come I don't the Survivor Series. Well, we have no idea what's gonna happen yet in you know two months. Bret Hart is injured for one thing, for two months, that knee injury might aggravate again. It could have be last enough for a longer time. They've got Shawn Michaels. They've got you know, if they are if they, if they are you know concerned about having Austin and Bret being overcooked now that we've done the third match. There are options available right now to, to put Brett in with other programs. So I know, I know what you're saying. I definitely understand, you know, the, the idea that oh Brett and Austin should not be happening right now. They should give him time to breathe. But with, as we, as we, Eric and I discussed earlier, there was no other option to go for it. There's no, you got to put on a show for the attendance. You know, imagine if they put like, I don't know, Ahmed Johnson versus Crush over this match. Imagine how much the, the audience in, in attendance would have gone, sod this company, mm. Lost the entire show... I don't what I was going to say. I you going to say. You, say. Say. you no, might have done already. Yeah. So I, I know what you're saying, but I think sometimes short-term gain has to be taken into account on this thing. And I, I think they could work around this more often than than you are suggesting.
4: Yeah, I just go back to what I said earlier. In the event of any other opponent of any other standing being available for Brett, they would not have done this match. So I understand why they did it, but I say that as in there was no justification in any normal circumstances for doing the third match so soon after the second. The only one was, shit, we need a match, which is more testament to just their lack of other options. But I don't think this match helped. And I actually think it suffered... It, it didn't help the program this match being here, and this match wasn't helped by it being here either, in that there was no drama. And maybe that was just me, but the crowd weren't really into it either. And this is otherwise a hot program. Right, Eric, you have your thoughts on the show and a score rating out of ten? I
6: think a great show like this. Uh, the first forty-five minutes or out an hour was just in, uh, negative, negative numbers. You know, whole numbers don't even uh, justify um how terrible that first hour was almost nothing relevant on this show uh Mick Foley mankind he keeps putting his body on the line he works his ass off every month after month week after week often uh in, in the face of shows like this like the um buried alive show uh i, I I don't even know, 3 out of 10, and and that's solely on the basis of a passable Austin-Brett match with a screwy finish and a really good uh, Undertaker-Mankind match. If you're going to watch this show, skip the first hour, and even then, it's not going to really improve above average, plus, rockabili- see- plus Rockabilly. I
4: was going to say, are you serious suggesting people skip the debut of Rockabilly?
6: Well, they can just watch Raw the next night and get the same, same not, idea so, for free.
4: I mean he's as Hoggy Top Man said, he's the he's the next big sensation. Dan Uh,
5: yeah, I'm along the lines of Eric here. This was a show which was dross the and per normal and W in your house shows. Yeah, as, as we discussed, the main events weren't enough to drag it up. There was nothing on this show at the level of a Brett versus Bulldog, a Sean versus Diesel, or a Sean versus Mankind match. Um plus the Absurd amount of non-finishes, the okay. so nonsensical refereeing and rockabilly. So three and a half.
4: Yeah, I, I, I'm down with you. I'll give you a three. Um, yeah, I, I thought the Undertaker Mankind match was really quite good, but more just from a a, a spot heavy sense rather than it being necessarily a good match. Bretton Austin is a good match. I think if you hadn't seen the first two, you'd probably like this show a fair bit more because you would have thought, wow, this is a really good match. But I this is kind of what I mean. Having seen the third one, I don't know that it stands out as much. The first the first forty five minutes is dreadful. And it, that 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 would that would stand alongside any first hour of an In Your House show as the worst we've seen. And some. Um poorly booked uh, a pretty good match, and a good match. Uh, yeah, but, but skip the first point. The rule following the pay-per-view on the 21st of April kicks off with Austin in the ring. We hear that he will take on Undertaker for the WWF title at the next in your house. Tonight, though, he only cares about Brett. He doesn't want to wrestle, he just wants a street fight. He calls out Brett right now and gives him one minute to turn up. Unsurprisingly the Hitman doesn't comply but he does appear on the Titantron to cut his now standard tirade against American fans before accepting Austin's challenge. He will send Austin straight to hell. Austin's response? If I'm going straight to hell you're damn sure going with me. First match tonight pits the Sultan vs. Armor Johnson. The nation appear on the ramp but once again Armor grabs his trusty 2x4. Hits the Sultan with it for the DQ of the Root and, and co-retreat. Austin tries to break down the door on the Hart Foundation's dressing room. Brett responds that Austin will get him when he's good and ready. Vince tells us about Vader being held hostage in Q8 after threatening a presenter of Good Morning Q8 who asked if wrestling was fake. He'll be in court on Wednesday. Sharrock's on the headset. He has a problem with bullies and he has a problem with Vader. He will put an end to him on May the 11th. He then makes the challenge to Mike Tyson. Jarrett will beat Tyson to prove that he is the most dangerous man in the world. Now we get our street fight between Austin and Brett. Owner Bulldog jump Austin from behind, but HBK appears through the crowd to chase him off with a chair. Brett aggressively pounds, Austin on, uh, Brett aggressively pounds on Austin, then attempts to pulmonise his ankle. Austin moves though, and takes, then proceeds to destroy Brett's knees with a chair. He even applies the sharpshooter again, and it takes officials ages to pry Austin off. Whilst Brett does a stretch job, Gorilla accuses Austin of breaking every rule and every regulation and tries to kick him out of the building. Stone Cold seems in little mood to comply. Tiger Ali Singh takes on Salvatore Sincere. Singh wins an awful spin heel kick. Brett gets led to to and wheeled into an ambulance. When the doors are shut though, a familiar poise pipes up. I told you, we're going straight to hell. Yes, Austin is in the ambulance. He viciously attacks Brett until Owner Bulldog and officials are able to drag him away. Brett gets driven away as Owner Bulldog plan their revenge. The real Double J faces Rockabilly again. Billy wins clean this time with a shake, rattle and roll. Honky belts Jesse with the guitar afterwards. Backstage, Austin and HBK duel with each other. They are in no business to help one another, but it certainly seems they have a mutual enemy. Here comes the bandaged up Undertaker for his non-title match with Hunter. Jar picks out Dustin and Terry in the crowd. Mankind comes to the ring with a blowtorch. He joust Taker with it for a DQ and goes to light it, but Undertaker stops him and they brawl through the crowd. If that wasn't enough, Dustin and Terry then attack HHH and Trina. Austin is back. He's proud that he sent Brett back to Canada and now he did it by himself. He has no plans to ever be a role model. Owen and Bulldog show up out of nowhere and beat the tire of Austin. Owen shoves down Vince and here comes HBK with a trusty chair again. So Austin slowly comes to none other than Brian Pillman wearing a I Don't Call 911 t-shirt jumps the rail and mercilessly pounds on Stone Cold. HBK returns once more but the damage is done. We begin the final rawest war of the month on the 28th of April with Pillman on the mic. He knows that people think he's crazy but he's actually very sensitive and deeply religious. He prays for Brett and the complete and utter destruction and annihilation of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin interrupts on the titantron to tell Pillman to pray he doesn't beat the hell out of him. Pillman turns the other cheek to beckon Austin to the ring. He does but he's followed up by Owen and Bulldogs who escapes through the crowd and then calls on the tag chouts to join him in a prayer for Brett. Austin returns with an axe handle, we actually actually showing backstage breaking the head off of the axe and then returning with just a handle, because that makes sense, to finally chase them off. He gets the last word saying your ass is mine. Flash Funk beats Rockabilly by roll up but gets the guitar treatment afterwards. After footage of Brett's actual knee surgery from last week, he's here in a wheelchair. The hyena Austin didn't kill this lion, he only wounded it. In America, they don't appreciate real heroes. He guided fans to the truth, but all he got was them celebrating him having his leg torn off. They are a sick, depraved society, and he knows that they hate him, telling them that he's the best. He promises both Austin and that scum, sure, Michaels, will soon be in need of an ambulance. The LOD and face Furnace on the farm, the latter seems to be heels now, while their gimmick seems to be that nobody thinks they're any good, which is an interesting way of putting it. Hawk hits the clothesline off the top and Animal covers Furnace for the win. Iron flips out backstage and gives the English language a good mangling, it just seems to be that the NOD want him, they can find him. Rocky defends the IC title against Owen who dedicates the match to his loving brother Brett. After a good 10-minute contest, Owen executes a rolling prawn hold out of nowhere and becomes the Intercontinental Champion. The Hart brothers and Davies celebrate on the ramp. Brett looks genuinely pleased. Austin comes to the ring in his own wheelchair at the start of hour number two. He asks if he wants to see a wheelchair match. He can't promise he will stay in the chair though, because he's a lying SOB or will stump a mod hole in Brett and walk it dry. On May the 11th for the WWF title, The Undertaker will see the coldest day in hell. He then stomps off, looking for the hearts again. A pettingill voice video package on Shamrock Mania's with a single-minded purpose. He fears no one. The real Double J eats a Vader in a quick match. JR interviews him afterwards. JR doesn't, agree with the, do, JR doesn't agree with the question, is wrestling fake? But he won as if Vader overreacted in Kuwait. A remorseless Vader shows JR around in response and threatens to finish what he started overseas. Shamrock runs in to stop this happening and gives Vader a belly to belly. It ain't going to be Vader time, it's going to be hard time. Hunter vs. Goldust is next. Marlena throws powder in China's eyes and whilst blind, she chokes Helmsley, giving Goldust the count out win. Undertaker is on the titantron. The one who covets the flame ends up being burnt. As for Austin, he may just rest in peace. Undertaker faces Bulldog in our now main event. match. Barely gets going before Owen is in for the DQ. Austin comes through the crowd but then he and Undertaker clean house. Austin poses with the WWF title then hits the disapproving champion with a stone cold stunner. Undertaker recovers and hits a chokeslam. Austin gets up and sees Brett alone at the top of the ramp. Austin stalks his prey but Jim Neidhart shows up. He nails Austin in the back and Brett whacks Austin off of the ramp with his crutch. Whilst he stretched off, a still-praying Pillman grins madly at the camera, and we fade to black.
0: I know where Brian Pillman's coming from, and it's great to see him on his hand, knees, hands and knees praying. But Brian, no matter how much you pray, every once in a while, one slimy, rotten hyena breaks through and makes the kill on a lion a real lion the king of the jungle but he didn't kill this lion, he just wounded me but all the praying in the world won't help the likes of so-called Steve Austin the scum of America you know I realized last week when I was wrestling Stone Cold Steve Austin that it wasn't just one hyena because hyenas don't hunt by themselves, it's a whole pack! That's what you signify to me. You're all just a lousy, rotten pack of lousy, stinking hyenas.
1: Now he's testifying.
0: America the American wrestling fan. Huh, you're a disgrace around the world. Around the world, they'll still appreciate heroes and they appreciate someone who stands up for the truth. And that's exactly what I stood up for. I was a real hero and I stood up and I told you the truth. And what did I get for it? All those years of service, what did I get? I found that lousy, stinking creep in the ring trying to rip my leg off, trying to end my career. You know, I don't care what you think of me, but I know one thing that I never deserved that. You know, All you have to do is watch the television. You can see how bloodthirsty the American wrestling fans are. You want your little blood. You want the snap of the bones. You want blood poured all over the place because you're a sick, depraved society. Well, I knew it would come down to this sooner or later, and I've had to lower my standards and lower myself to that same milk so that I could prove, as I always have and I always will, that I'm still the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will aren't you sick of that? Don't you just hate that? But I keep talking about how I'm the best. Yeah. Well, now you know how the rest of the world feels about the United States of America. I'm just gonna say one thing. I'm back. I'll be out of commission for a little while. Go ahead and chant your U.S.A. My mother's American. so Cold Steve Austin. These are your people. That's fine. Just the way I look at things, that ambulance that brought me here tonight, better stay real close. Because I can promise, not just the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, but scum like Shawn Michaels. Before this night is over, maybe we can get you a nice ride to the hospital, where you people can drool and bulge your eyes and grind your teeth and clench your fist at all the violence and gore. But this time, the Heart Foundation will be giving it out instead of receiving it. It's so called Steve Austin, you're not only your days, but your hours and your minutes are
4: numbered. So, we talk about Austin and Hart, and I I think it's fair to say that the WWF had their one hand for the next, the final two weeks of Raw of the Month, and they decided they were going to play that hand until the lights went out. And so for the next two weeks, we basically got the Austin and Brett show with, with, with that ensemble cast, and intertwined within it, with the occasional exception, was a lot of stuff that just didn't really matter. Matches that weren't significant, other stuff that didn't, was, was largely forgettable. Um, but, Dan, the Austin Brett angle we got, and I'm focusing largely on what happened on the, on the 21st, um, went from being very, very effective to excellent in the space of about 10 minutes.
5: We're taking. I'm taking this other bitch to hell back. It's so, like, oh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Austin is, I would put on par with the most you know, most entertaining act right now in wrestling in terms of. I have to go in and watch what he's going to do because even even in, in the interviews with Vince that he's doing beforehand, he's just mouthing off to him. It's fantastic. I mean, him and Bret Hart. Um you can say that they've overcooked the shoot, but what they've what they're doing right now it is so entertaining, it's so real, you can tell that they hate each other. There's stuff with Owen and, and Bulldog which can work as well as supporting cast, not that Brett's injured. It's still the most interesting thing on WF T V right now, by far and away. And when he pops out, you know, I think it was I got a little bit suspicious when you know, they're carrying on going towards the uh, the ambulance with Bret Hart. I think, no, um, they could have cut away by now. Um and then when they start showing Brett in the ambulance with the, the EMTs, then alarm bells started ringing in, especially when, you know, going, okay, something's gonna happen here, and then bang, out comes Austin, and it's fantastic. You know, it's, it's pure, it's, it's a, it was a, that whole first hour of that 21st show, it was all about Austin and Brett, you know, for the minute that they come out and for the chance to get Brett Hart to come down to the ring, the actual kind of fight itself, and then all the way to the ambulance, it was, Great, entertaining, and in television, and yeah, fantastic stuff.
6: All right, this is so freaking great, Austin Brett, and I'm going to carve out a little time here to give credit where credit is due to Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Hysterical as Brett's stooges. Just when he's being, when Brett's being rolled into the, into the ambulance, they roll over some cords and I forget what Owen says, but he just yells in that smarmy shit here, watch the cords! And Bulldog, he broke his wrist, he broke his wrist in that, in that thick, in that thick accent. Oh, it's just, you know, everybody's finding their groove with this. Mind with the this
1: cards! Board. Mind the cards! Mind the cards! Mind
6: the cards! Exactly. Oh my. You know, we talk about British Bulldog and Owen Hart really not being the best talkers in the world, not being the best, you know, the most uh, gregarious talents they have. But boy, you know, if they're if they're going to spend the next six months with Brett's heavies, you know, just kissing Brett's ass and riding his coattails with his heart found, oh man, it's going to be you know Bobby I think you finally see what we've been talking about forever with 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 Owen Hart in and out of the ring but let's let's not lose focus here this was this is Austin and Brett Brett as the heel just this you know this this, this jerk basically getting his his comeuppance, this this renegade stone cold steve austin stealing an ambulance this is just this is fantastic how this came only uh, the night after this horrible show that we that we've just spent uh, an hour and a half tearing apart, uh, unbelievable! It's a different. It must be a different set of writers or something. But this was just the best angle, and and if they can continue with something like this for a little while while this feud is hot, I think we'll, they might really have a chance to turn things around.
4: Yeah, I mean, just when you just when you think the angle's over, they admittedly they, they found a, a cameraman in the passenger seat of the ambulance which is a bit of a stretch um, but they just cut to this camera and Austin sat in he said yeah I said I'm going to take you straight to hell that's exactly what I'm going to do and then like the, the announcers come, the announcers pop and then Austin starts going after Brett and you get this panicked expression and these panic reactions from Owen and Bulldog as they try and get Brett out and they pull Austin out and Austin pulls the Stretcher out and Brett ends up basically like on a bodyboard propped up against the side of the ambulance while Austin lays in some shots um, before he gets away and all of the, before the ambulance gets away and Austin gets away in another direction. I mean, so, so good. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about it now. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see quite as much as other people do. I think his delivery delivery's good. I'd I, I say our, our Bulldog's probably at a similar level. Um, but as as a trio of heels, there's there's the scene the following week on Raw where uh, where Brett finishes his promo. It's either that or when uh, when Owen wins the title, either or Brett's on the uh, on the uh, on the ramp in his wheelchair because he's had his knee surgery. And Owen starts celebrating and then Brett's looking all happy and Bulldog pulls pulls Brett's wheelchair so Brett ends up doing a wheelie and they all just look really, really happy. <laughs> and I just, I watched that scene I just went, fuck, it's going to be hard to dislike these guys in the next six months. And it really is. It's going to be really difficult to, to not root for these guys in part. I mean, Dan, Brett settled into, for a guy that, as a, for a guy that seemed to be quite an obvious baby babyface with limitations, charismatically, Brett settled really, really quickly as a he?
5: Oh, definitely. I think you know he's—it's it, a bit of fresh air, a bit of a bit of fresh freshness to his character. And whenever you've got something new that you could work with, it's always going to give you a bit of a boost. But the fact that I think he's working with Owen and and, and Davy Boy so much it's going to make him more relaxed. It's going to make him feel much better about his composition you know, there's, there's no, you know, Sean Michaels is off TV for the next two months, so he's comfortable in that regard. I think he just seems to be really enjoying himself right now, and and that's something that we just, I don't think you've really seen out of Bret Hart for a long time, because of what we touched on with Sean, the fact that he takes himself so seriously in and out of the ring. Yeah, I, uh, the, only, the only thing I'm worried about is whether he's going to lose a little bit of his luster with, with him out of the action now in the wheelchair, but hopefully Owen and uh, bulldog with them, you know, can carry this sort of ring ring ship for the next couple of months and it'll be all roses going into the King of the Ring, hopefully, and uh, Summer Sam.
4: Eric, I, 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 this, this came to me this afternoon when I was prepping this show, but is there a little bit of an NWO feel about this trio?
6: Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting point I hadn't thought about, and uh, in a sense, if you're going to have these three guys, one of whom was a, an established babyface for geez, six years, seven years, something like that, um, kind of just turn coat. Not on, you know, in a sense, it's the NWO, but it's not against the World Wrestling Federation per se, or you know, the the, the wrestling league. It's against the, an entire country. They're almost shooting, you know, they're aiming for a for a deeper fence um, and trying to come up with this. Uh, it's really challenging storytelling arc where Brett's a heel everywhere but but in the US. But on the other hand, the US is where they do the bulk of their business. Uh yeah, it's a little NWO esque. I, I think if it you know, we saw Nightheart come out eventually. It might it might pivot more into a four horseman vibe where I think you have your your, your natural leader, Brett as the Red Flair type, you have your worker. Um, Owen can be Arn or, or Tully and Bulldog, same thing. And then you have your heavy with Anvil. Um, so I think maybe we have an NWO vibe, but that organization is going to continue to keep growing. I think here, what you might see if this gets fully fleshed out is, is more of a four of a dominant four horseman type faction where they own all the belts, they keep winning the matches, they watch each other's backs, and you have to find a, a babyface character with a lot of with a lot of uh, sympathy, like in this case, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the 80s, Dusty Rhodes, who can, uh, you know, fight against this established regime.
4: And in some ways, it's, it's already a better version of the NWO. And, you know, part of the comparison, in many ways, was the addition of Neidhart in that that, that, that turned the, you know, that was the fourth entry to the group, although perhaps the fifth, and it, it seems like Pillman's going to be quite closely tied to that, even though I guess with Pillman, you could have him as this kind of lone character. Um, But in the sense that the NWO, when they started adding numbers, started to dilute itself. But I think if they stay as they are, be it as a four or as a five, or as kind of like a a main three and then a couple of guys that appear every now and then, that will be a big step up from the NWO that lost its focus when it gained its members.
6: And and, and, And and everybody everybody in the Hart Foundation, uh, you know, uh, well, not everybody because Hall's very good, but – This is a much better stable of in-ring talent uh, as well. um, uh, Oh, significantly better. Yeah, you're looking at you're looking at Nash and Hogan versus uh, Owen and Brett, and and I would say at this point with all of his problems, Hall and Bulldog are probably a wash. So yeah, I think this is this could potentially be a much better uh, version of of a wrestling faction to take over an organization.
4: And I think the the critical point in all of this, Dan, is that the problem with the NWO, and I think it's still the problem with the NWO is that they don't really have a viable opposition but yet with with this group it feels like there is a an end goal which is to get austin over and in austin and michaels it feels like there's two contemporaries that can go up against them
5: absolutely um the covers from his crippling um but and also the fact that you've got in the nwo you've got kind of other entity to hold the Nash, it's kind of two, two sides of of one it's the leader and O'Hara's lackeys. And it's a lot more focused on that front as well. And, he, and you know, and, and the, the dichotomy of of the fact that they're going to get booed up building in, in one in one corner of the arena, but there's no chance in hell that like a, a small section of the crowd will start cheering Owen Hart. Well creating better stories. Austin is a more sympathetic character. I mean, just look at the reaction that he... Got the to piss on that ambulance, and imagine what it would be like when he finally gets that, you know, victory over Brett or Owen or, you know, one of the higher foundation down the line when he gets that win. And when you got, you know, and as coupled with Eric as well, can you imagine how good the matches would be between Sean, Steve, um, and the Hearts just, just from an in-ring standpoint? It's looking quite... Quite positive for WWF in that front as well. You know, both something that they've something that they've not really been able to nail down in the last kind of two years, which was great in-ring storytelling and good storytelling on TV as well. When they've had, kind of, they've either had one or two of the, they haven't got both of them nailed down the same in the same angle.
4: Yeah, um, the potential for matchups if they can find a, a third guy to go alongside Austin and Michaels, the potential for a. A series of matchups that you can get Pillman fit. There's like a load of really intriguing singles and, and, and pairs combinations. Um, but yeah, I, that was my big takeaway from the month. As, as good as the angle was, was just how quickly three guys that aren't great character acts, I mean let's be honest like Bret Hart is, is no pissed off Kevin Nash in the character stakes none of the guys have got anything on Scott Hall um, and to an extent none of them really got anything on Hulk Hogan as kind of narrow as the, the Hulk Hogan character was these guys are not on their level and yet it almost feels more natural than the NWO did the NWO, okay for the first three it worked, but when they started adding new guys the story kind of got washed out Um, with these guys they I, I would argue that the the NWO possibly then and certainly now was less than the sum of its parts I almost wonder whether this is greater than the sum of its parts in that they seem more You know, from a character perspective, they just seem more natural together than they do alone. Whereas you look at the NWO guys, you're like, well, Scott Hall's really cool if he's Scott Hall. Kevin Nash can float on his own. They've got to try and justify why, you know, VK Wall Street, at least until this month, was knocking around. Um, This has got a lot of potential. They're going to have to work around a lot of things. Brett's injured. Pillman's not fit. Michaels isn't fit. But if they can get this right, and if they can not make the mistakes that the NWF have made in terms of trying to make something bigger than what it was and more importantly having a focus beyond just getting over Hulk Hogan they've got a real shout
3: in, in Kuwait here I mean, I'm, I'm sure you heard this before that they say this wrestling is not for real is it like you you act or well
7: let's put it this way what we do if it is acting, we take a normal man and break him in half. You know that's such an unoriginal question for someone to ask. Uh, you know, and it's so easy for people to pass judgment and make uh, all these 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 questions about what wrestling is. Wrestling is one of the finest athletic endeavors that you will ever see. Not only do you get the best of athletics, but you get people who can actually sell tickets by just their character alone. There's several people who could care whether or not I am wrest- I can wrestle or not. But the message that I bring when I go to the ring, my creatures of the night, they don't care what it is. But I mean, let me assure you, it's the most physical thing that you would ever do in your life.
3: نعم ااا ما قدرت أتابع بشكل عام لكن أعتقد إنه ملخص كلامه إنه هي اللي يقولها إنه هي مزيفة أو تمثيل هو خاطئ لأن لو كانت مزيفة يعني مزيفة كان ممكن نيبون شخص عادي يعني بالحجم العادي ويدرسون النصتين يعني حسب كلامه but the exercise of the resistance and the pressure that's happening is not possible in the day of the because it needs Is it just for the wrestling shows that... Excuse me, uh, excuse me, excuse me. I'm sorry, yeah.
2: You gave him a chance to respond to yeah, that question.
3: Yeah, this is the question I'm gonna ask you now. I'd, I'd like hero. to respond to the same question. Okay, please, go ahead.
2: Well, my astute colleague, the heavyweight champion of the world, very diplomatic individual. I'm perhaps not quite so diplomatic. In fact, I find your your question and uh, your remarks insulting to what I do. Physically, no man can do what I do in the ring. If they could, why wouldn't they be out there making the type of money we make enjoy the type of fame and lifestyle that we enjoy? So I find your remark and your question insulting It's not my question. Is somebody the? the (laughs) Does that fucking feel fake, huh? Does that feel fake? Does it? Oh no no. Why don't you come down tonight, and before I kick his ass, I'll kick your ass.
3: Okay. All right. Just calm down.
2: Don't. Hey, we're not here to be insulted. I'm not here to
3: be insulted. Okay. Okay. Right. Um. <laughs> and then
4: the final story of the month. so they were on a tour in Kuwait. Vader and the Undertaker appearing on Good Morning Kuwait, uh, evidently a TV talk show. and By <coughs> the so in uh, an <coughs> interpreter or not the uh presenter asked the question you know is what you do fake essentially you just heard it well, basically word for word An undertaker in a t-shirt bandana sunnies not the undertaker we normally used to see bear in mind i uh actually eric did did, did we see undertaker in this guy's on raw because they had a clip of this from raw but it was only the vader bit did we see undertaker
6: well, well, we did because they showed, yeah, Vader, they, showed yeah, they showed Vader freaking out, and then the Undertaker was just kind of sitting there looking like a badass.
4: Yeah. Um, so we did see Undertaker on Raw in a bandana and shades and a, a, a shirt, which was which was a different look. Our Undertaker gives this very political, very polite, you know, standard answer to the question. It ain't real, but it's pretty down close. It's basically what he was getting at. And then. Via an interpreter, they go to ask Vader something else. And Vader says, well, hang on a minute. You asked my colleague here, who's much more well-mannered than me, what he thought. I'd like to address the question. And basically, the story surrounding this is that it, apparently via a translator, they were told before the show to ham it up. And they clearly hadn't seen Vader before, because when you tell Vader to ham it up, in a ring, that, you know, the, that Vader's step up from normal gear is legitimately punching you. And outside of the ring, I think the jumps, you know, like Vader's, you know, if you tell Vader to lay in any heavier, he'd just be whacking you, right? And in the, in the non-in-ring world, if you put Vader in a non-scripted out-of-kayfabe segment, Vader is always going to protect himself anyway. And he's always going to present things in character. So if you unknowingly tell Vader, ham it up a bit, Vader might go, well, okay, there's only one extra gear I know, and that's being big and burly and whatever. Now, unfortunately, Kuwait, you know, from a, from a, a demographic standpoint, from a tradition standpoint, etc., cetera, et cetera, and from a cultural standpoint, which was the word I was looking for, is not quite in the same degree as the USA is. So when Vader gets up and gets in the guy's face and grabs him by the time, bees a bit intimidated and swears, it isn't just, oh, ha-ha, Vader's being, you know, in character. It's, shit, political situation going down. Now, as much as WCW, perhaps with some justification, might want to think it's a sh- it was a work, it doesn't seem likely that it was at least in the initial instance in that vader did miss dates and he did you know he was detained for 14 days under well actually hotel arrest um and apparently initially the idea was, was that the the host said give me forty thousand dollars and the problem will go away and from what vincent McMahon has said and i'll fill them that's cool in a minute they were sort of quite happy to go with that because it's like well, we'll give the money fuck it we'll pretend it never happened but apparently that, that trail went cold and they, they went back and he said, well, I want $400,000. Price has changed a bit. He's got some legal advice from the time since. Uh, and so eventually they, Vader got let out and let out and let back into the United States. And apparently as far as I'm aware, Vader has to go back next month. Now where it gets interesting from the is it work, was it work thing was that while most sources and most science points to the fact it wasn't work early doors because it probably wasn't worth, you know, if it was a work, you would have clued them in and you'd have done the angle and you'd have got out of it. It seems like that once it became clear it wasn't a serious situation, that WDF decided to take it and turn it into a storyline. This man making himself available for media comment does not seem like the kind of thing you would do if this wasn't planned out and all the media interviews and all of that. And then them showing it on Raw does not seem like the kind of thing you would do if this wasn't planned out, even if it was after the fact, even if it wasn't, let's take this, it, this match lit by accident, but I know, while it's lit, let's use it to set something on fire rather than blowing it out. Um, we have a lawyer on this show. Uh, Eric, I don't suppose that QAT 101 is is a class in law school Um, but if you can shed any insight onto that please do otherwise what do you think of this whole situation
6: Uh, i'm not barred in kuwait uh for the record um that's not one of the, the states or jurisdictions that i can practice uh just to put that out there for anybody taking this as actual legal advice um i did some reading on the kuwaiti legal system and it seems like they have some religious, uh, they have some secular law uh, as well, but it seems like this situation would have been handled by their traditional legal system. And and the only real difference between the Kuwaiti legal system and the, the, the U- U.S. Uh, legal system, which is more akin to the uh, uh, British legal system, uh, is it's called civil law or code law. And that basically means instead of having a few vague, uh, broad statutes that cover everything under the sun that um, – Judges then interpret uh, to a particular set of facts. Uh, in this situation, what you have in code law is you have uh, essentially laws that are constantly updated um, to be applied to a specific fact situations. So in one instance, the judge applies the the law. In this situation, the law should be already written, and they can just apply it. And the judge just kind of plugs in place. I doubt they have a specific uh, code. Uh, Line that says when a 450-pound professional wrestler attacks, uh, you know, a, a small Kuwaiti uh, presenter, um, it's a uh, X amount of fine and, and X number of days in jail. So that that was probably challenging for them to figure out um, what to do with this. It's also going to be highly publicized. It seems like the WWF has a really good relationship with the country of Kuwait. They do this Kuwaiti Cup thing every year. Um, it's one of the more stable areas in the Middle East for the WWF to make money. They're obviously not going to be going to Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, etc., but you have to exploit that region uh, because there's a lot of people with a lot of money there and probably a lot of people with uh, some wrestling fandom. So what do you do? Well, it seems like what they did was, uh, first of all, the Saudi presenter seems like he talked to... Eric Kulis' lawyer, and totally changed the story once he realized what this uh, was worth. Secondly, what I suspect may have happened was a payment was exchanged. But part of the the, the exchange of payment was, hey, we're going to run with this on our TV for a little while. Can we show this? Can we play it up as a storyline if we line your pockets? So I don't know how this is going to ultimately be um, – uh, resolved, But I would suspect that when you saw that shift from it being kind of a real thing to a storyline thing, I suspect that money might have changed hands already, at least in some respect, uh, to allow the WWF to safely play this off after the fact as a storyline um, without any problems uh, with additional le- legal ramifications back in Kuwait. But that's purely speculation and based uh, highly on what would happen if this same thing had happened in this country.
4: Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong and I don't to a point, but I suspect the fact they were able to get a copy of the tape suggests some kind of you know back and forth. Yes. You know, it's, not, it's not improbable to think that beforehand they were... You know, I don't say recording it. somewhere like they had a VCR in a hotel room in Kuwait. It's not improbable to think they maybe had an arrangement like that set up beforehand. But it seems unlikely. What use would the WWF otherwise have for an interview of Vader and The Undertaker in Kuwait for any of their other? You know, they've got nowhere to put that kind of thing. So it doesn't seem like there's a massive incentive for them beforehand to say, here's an interview, can we have the tapes? So it seems like the fact they got hold of a copy of the interview would suggest some kind of back and forth between the two sides, which is of note uh, uh, and leans in towards the angle. So, Dan, what do you think?
5: I, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about curated law practice. So I was more interested in the fact that the graphics they used for this fellow, they were launching a new sitcom with Vader called Locked Up with Vader. <laughs> uh, what is the end game here though I mean okay great you, you, you've managed to kind of get some leeway with this story you're going to use it in an angle in some way but what, what's the angle going to be what's the end game here with Vader what's the, how is this going to make him more over with your audience because we already know that Vader's a bit of a you know a, a bully and a, and a big burly mother if fans in the know already know he's got a history of roughing up you know um wrestlers in, in real in real life shoot terms. so there's I, I can't see any like kind of practical way that they can make vader more of a star by using this footage i mean all he's doing is just grabbing a guy by the tie and and kind of making threatening gestures towards him there's, there's no real
4: is it the answer is it the answer that it's being used to pivot into a storyline between vader and ken shamrock isn't that the that's the end but game they, here is that, that, that ken charlotte's basically saying that vader's a bully and that i'm going to stop the bully and that's you know i not that they plan um, it out like that but isn't that the yeah i know what you mean it's a lot of effort for not much reward but i think that's what they've kind of gone with
5: um, well if, if that's the way they go it didn't click for me in terms of an investment story like i again as i said before People who've watched Vader for the last year or since he's been in the WF know that he's stiff, know that he can hit hard. I don't think him showing that on a curated TV show is going to make you even more invested in him getting, you know, sold as his, as his tough badass because people already know that. Um, yeah, I, I just thought the whole the whole angle was kind of pointless, and this should have been left where it was, where in terms of the legal proceedings and behind closed doors. You know, you know, let's try and get our man packing the United States so he can actually get back on TV, rather than trying to work it into storyline, which I, don't, I just don't think is going to, you know, reap the rewards that so much of this, you know, publication that he, you know, that Vince tried to try to drum up.
4: Dan, I I disagree with you on this to a point in that. I don't, you know, for a start, I don't think it was the kind of thing they planned out all that much. I don't think it was that effective to be a, a big planned out angle. I think it was just something they that they happened to stumble across, like something that was like, okay, well, we've got this, shall we do anything with it? And once you're in that position, I don't think it's a bad idea to try and push this as far as you can. It's clearly a, an affront for uh, Shamrock versus Vader. And it's the story that Shamrock standing up to the bully, shall not use it as an excuse to call out Mike Tyson. Hell, that would be a fight if that ever happened. Um, if, if it was an actual fight, I think Shamrock will get his ass kicked if it was a boxing match. But if it was any kind of actual fight, it could be a bit more interesting. Um, but Shamrock used it as, a, as an excuse to call out Vader and it kind of uh, snowballed into it. I, I don't think it was a great story, but I, I think they made something pretty good out of something average. And I think there's more on the Shamrock feud with vader because of it in that sense dropped on and it, i think it was at least memorable it was at least different um you know it was something more it was something more out of the ordinary versus the kind of cookie cutter kind of type stories quite unquote you might get um but yeah otherwise you know it was a bit of a in a teacup. in a sense um uh, vader may have to go back next month to you know whatever happens happens um but all in all uh yeah i think they i think they did quite well out of it out of the out of the story anyway we better wrap up here because we've been you know hopefully i can work around the edit, but i get the feeling i can only work my mic so much you might be able to. tell we've had some tech issues tonight so thank you with uh better down to eric for uh sitting with me uh, through us this evening uh dan don't worry first of all down thank you very much
5: no problem bob uh hope yep. to, uh, everyone, uh the edit comes up properly so all the guys listening
4: Yes, uh, I think we'll be able to patch it up, but sometimes it is worse than others. It is one of the vagaries of using Skype. Uh, Dan, remind people uh, where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you
5: can find me at Daniel886.
4: Excellent. And Eric Lasham. Eric, thank you very much. Hey, happy to, happy to be back. Yes, it's, uh, as I say, when this show doesn't go well, there's always a bit of panic mode, but hopefully the uh, the end edit won't, uh, won't show all that much. Uh, Eric, our resident legal expert, you can be found on Twitter.
6: Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at uh, Modern Day Lawyer. But but more importantly, uh, Patreon, Wrestling 20 Years, $5 a month. It works out to $17 a day. You have no idea what Bob's going to have to go through to patch this show together. He deserves every dollar of every listener to this podcast. Patreon.com, Wrestling 20 YRS. Go there and support the show.
4: I mean, I like to think it would work me, out. Eric. I would like to think it would work out at seventeen dollars a day, but I don't think it does. Seventeen cents um, a day
6: is what I meant. Yeah, I
4: was going to say. I mean, Eric, if you want to pay seventeen dollars a day, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> I, I could, I, I could, uh, you know, I could probably start working a day less of work a week on that kind of money. Um, Five dollars
6: a month, seventeen cents a day—it's barely anything. It feels like a, um, an, a, an appeal for a famine ad. It's what it seems like, you know, just a, for
4: for 17 cents a day, your child could, in Africa, you probably, admittedly, you probably would be far better off donating your five bucks a month to uh, to a starving child in Africa. But...
5: Bob, don't squander that amazing plug from Eric there.
4: Come on, no, man. no, very very much appreciated. <laughs> if you are one of Seven... our small band of loyal listeners, it doesn't cost you $17 a day, um, you know, if, uh, yeah, if we start doing six shows a month, maybe it should. Uh, but it, yeah, for, for, for our, our, our leveling is five bucks a month. And for that, you get early access to our shows this month. You would have got early access to our barely legal review. You would have got early access to our show on all things WCW. Or you just like to say thank you. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20YRS. Links in the podcast description and on that website. Thank you very much to Eddie, for Eric for that uh, unsolicited plug. Um, I was about to do it anyway, but admittedly uh, you can find us uh, on uh, the website at wrestling 20 Uh yesterday a piece went up looking at the uh, road to barely legal, you've listened to that show already look at the, uh, the build up there I also put a piece up last week looking at the inexplicable rise of Sid uh in 1996 and all that took place two other volumes for this month volume number one ecw ecw takes the line out as we look at their first paper you barely legal volume number three takes us to the w w w start again takes the wcw um The WCW, close enough. Uh, we look at Spring Stampede and a lot of political stuff. And before my microphone goes, let's wrap this shit up. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been volume number two of the April 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.